Mohamed Slater foot there. It's Wednesday and you know what that means. Welcome to episode 50 of the ABZ Football Podcast. I'm Gary Scott. Joining me this week, as always, it's Gavin J. Baxter and Graham Steele. Gents, how's it going? Fine, thank you. Good, thank you. We've made contact with Atlanta. Um, Very curious how this is going to play out. And hey, it's episode 50. It's the milestone. We did it. We got there eventually. I mean, we're cheating. It's not really 50. It's probably about 57 or 58, technically speaking. But there we go. Episode 50. Can't believe we're here. A half century on the doors. And yeah, I mean, almost fittingly, this evening has descended into farce before we've even hit the cards. I'm just waiting for it. I'm waiting for the announcement. As soon as we uh, finish up recording, Connor Ronan's in the door tonight. I can feel it in my bones. A granny's life hangs in the balance. <laughs> it's all going on. Graham, how are you doing, mate? Did you manage to avoid the honours lodging bucket yesterday? Uh, no, I had control of the jukebox. Mm. So I got given some pennies, so there was none of that filth on. Lovely stuff, lovely uh, of, stuff. Of course, yes, Graham, you were at uh, the Bucky Thistle Aberdeen friendly, weren't you? I was indeed. I should say not in an official capacity because I was a lot <laughs> less sober than I would have been if I was there in my official AVZFP capacity. Yeah, and we can offer no comment to the rumours that Gary was also there sporting a green and white hooped top. But <laughs> There was a guy who looked like him, actually, now you mention it. <laughs> tell you what, talking about green and white hoops, in a week that saw Aidan McGeady tell Hibs TV that he decided to sign for them due to the things they have in common with Celtic, Catman that saw Jack Cross unveiled as the new manager at Dungeon United and, and undertake one of the more bizarre photo shoots in memory. All I could think about was Alan Partridge through the entire thing. Graham Giles took another visit to the Balmoral Stadium, despite the fact he protests to all and sundry that he hates Cove. We see you, we see you. And Open Goal FC take one step closer to the inevitable disaster zone that we all know it will be. It's another busy episode of the ABZ football podcast and it is actually a busy one this week despite it being you know you'd, you'd expect traditional close season affair we've got five signings to talk about coming in the door i know we've done the mini pause but we're just going to get roughly go over them again quickly we've got a couple of outgoings to talk about the first preseason game of uh, this campaign at bucky on saturday to talk about and then after the break we'll bring you the latest in our line of interviews with don's personalities of past and present and for our half century we break out a true legend of Aberdeen Football Club, a European Super Cup winner in 1983, a man who made 561 appearances in red, went on to captain the side to the 1995 League Cup. It is part one of our conversation with Stuart McKimmy. First, let's have a wee chat about our first pre-season game of the campaign. The Dons travelling to Victoria Park on Saturday for the testimonial match of ex-Bucky Thistle player and now manager Graham Stewart. Bucky, of course, going agonisingly close to winning the Highland League last season, finishing up just behind Fraser Bra. This, the Don's first pre-season game of the campaign as preparations ramp up for our season opener against Peterhead in just over a week and a half. A sun-kissed Victoria Park welcomed the sides. Aberdeen clearly with the intention of fielding separate 11s in each half and the Dons lined up initially with Lewis and Goal, a backline of Richardson, Nilne, Scales and McKenzie with Povara and McCrory anchoring the midfield. 
with Bajowin, McLennan and Duncan supporting Watkins up top. Truth be told, first half was not much to write home about on a fiery park in windy conditions. Bucky creating some nice openings which they were unable to capitalise on and the Dons also went close through efforts from McCrory and Watkins that Bucky keeper Herbert pushed onto the post both times. Jack McKenzie going down just after half hour mark with what appeared to be a thigh injury. He was soon replaced by Kieran Nguyenia. Halftime, 0-0. The Dons made 10 changes at the break. Tom Ritchie, Mason Hancock, David Bates, Evan Tyler, Connor Barron, Kevin Henrati, Johnny Hayes, Matty Kennedy, Liam Harvey and Christian Ramirez coming onto the park. But it was the hosts who grabbed the lead. Ex-Aberdeen youth player Max Berry smashing a drive past Tom Ritchie and hilariously, Berry made the most of his celebrations, including shushing the Dons bench, despite the fact that none of that bench would have been part of the management team that decided to bin him off. And also... It's a pre-season match. Who really cares? Richie then had to act smartly to deal with a bucky cross that took an awkward bounce off the surface before the Dons eventually equalised from the spot. Good work by Connor Barron, feeding Kieran Nguyenia, who went down under a challenge from McCabe. And Christian Ramirez sent the goalkeeper the wrong way from 12 yards. Liam Harvey thought he'd put the away side ahead, but his effort was ruled out for offside before Matty Kennedy delivered the only real bit of quality on display in the entire game with a fine first-time finish on the half volley from a haze across the Dons, seeing out the time remaining to register the win. All in all, a game very much just about getting minutes in the legs. Graham, we just spoke about a minute ago. You were there in person. I attempted to watch the Bucky stream, which, let me tell you, was a fucking laugh and a half. Uh, you were there. What were your thoughts on the game? To be honest, I spent quite a lot of it inside consuming some vitamin tea, so I didn't see as much of it as I maybe should have done. <laughs> I didn't see very much of it either, courtesy of the Bucky stream, so... Bits I did see, it's kind of what you expect. Like, I mean, Barron looked totally light years ahead of the Bucky players, for example, not a criticism of them, but like he's a guy who's just good. I know that's probably a fairly obvious statement, but he looked much better than everyone else. Some of the other guys, like, so, um, you know, McLaren looks like maybe Highland League might be the future for him. Don't really have much time for him. Other guys, obviously, <laughs> you just, um, it was a hot day, quite a heavy pitch it looked. So I think it's quite a, a bit of a tough workout for everyone. Like you say, it's just about trying to get some minutes in with new teammates, trying to figure out who can do what. So I don't really think you can, I mean, the scoreline, you look at that, you think, oh, that's really poor, we should have battered them, whatever. But it wasn't really about that. And the fact that it was the two 11s, it's just really trying to get some guys through without injury. It's a little bit worrying about McKenzie because I hope that's not the way his time with Aberdeen is going to be. But that feels like even last season he was a bit stop start, wasn't he? He'd, he'd get in, yeah. maybe have a bit of a ropey game because he needs to get fitness and sort of sharpness back. Then he'd sort of get into his stride. Then something would happen. He'd be out for a few weeks and then the cycle repeats. Um, so that that one's a little bit worrying. As for the rest of it, you know, the, um, most of the guys looked like you'd expect pretty tidy in the ball. But it's just quite a lot of work to do to get everyone sort of gelled to the point where you think right now we have a cohesive unit um, but you know it's, it's reasonably encouraging because the aside I think everyone else came through that unscathed and in fairness to Kennedy he was alright actually and that was that was an excellent finish and definitely not an easy ball to take on yeah I mean you're right I saw some people really starting to like get a bit panicky at half time and then when we went one nil down and all this kind of stuff yes and it's like this is just like it's pre-season it's all about getting like I say some Minutes in the legs, trying to avoid anyone getting injured badly. I mean, the pitch was horrible yesterday. You could see that even just on the stream. It was just so fiery and just bounce, the ball was just bouncing in odd directions whenever the ball hit the turf. It was pretty windy as well, it looked like, on the, the stream, which obviously doesn't help. That definitely didn't 
it helped notice in the first half um, where maybe people did not necessarily shell it if they were trying to you know sort of bend it round an opponent or put a bit of height on it there's a diagonal or something like that sometimes the wind was swirling around and you could see the ball obviously just holding up like one of those hilarious moments where the keeper kicks it out yeah. and it starts to come back at him it was like that a couple of times so I don't really think you can read anything into the result and the performance you know there's no need to be no there's nothing to get excited about but there's no reason to be panic stations and ah oh, this is shit we play Peterhead in 10th of July and look we've only just scraped past Bucky it doesn't really matter no McKenzie aside everyone's fit and healthy that's all you really want hard as well to judge the new boys that we saw yesterday as well which um, obviously came in the form of um, Jaden Richardson and Liam Scales who started the game uh, Richardson did well I think getting up the line seems to have a good turn of pace about him couple of times he cut the ball back and there wasn't anyone there that, that kind of seems to fit him with what we've already been told about Richardson what we spoke about in the mini pod during the week and then I thought Liam Scales looked fairly comfortable for most of the game the 45 minutes he was on the pitch there was one time the ball came over the top and he kind of got a little bit caught out with it but it was hard to tell if that was again the wind or what it was but it looked generally neat and tidy you'd expect him to be against high league opposition really difficult to let you say to kind of make any sort of head nor tail about how good these guys actually are yeah and all I will say is actually obviously there is a huge gap between where Aberdeen play and where Bucky play but for those that maybe not that I'm by any means a Highland League aficionado the couple of times I've seen Bucky there's actually a lot more football at the certainly the top level of the Highland League than people might think so whilst yes Aberdeen players should be fitter stronger better actually they were playing against a team that is capable of actually putting some moves together and playing some reasonable football so it was a reasonable test for Aberdeen from that point of view because it's not like they just had a couple of big units up front and you know Bucky were shelling balls up and you had to deal with that they did actually have to deal with some decent passages of of play so it was a good test and I think if people were to watch the top end of the Highland League it's probably there's a little bit more football than I I can recall there being maybe in seasons past yeah definitely I thought Jack Milne looked pretty comfortable first half alongside Liam Scales Jack Milne's got a good height about him he came back uh, last season after he, he spent the first six months at Brecon City it was meant to be a full season loan the club brought him back after six months because they decided they wanted to get a closer look at him and to start developing him more as a central defender rather than a defensive midfielder which is where he's really kind of predominantly come through the ranks so I thought it was encouraging to see him getting a shot in there I thought he looked fine I thought he did alright in that position and then I thought actually some of the younger lads in the second half actually looked pretty good. It's bizarre. There was more younger lads on the pitch in the second half. I thought we actually played a lot better second half as well, generally speaking. I thought the likes of Mason Hancock, Kevin Henratty had had decent 45 minutes. Keenan Nguyenia I thought impressed when he came on for McKenzie. looked solid in his work. Again, difficult to tell, but good to see that there seems to be a crop of players coming through now in around the first team squad who are all of a good age, perhaps all starting to maybe knock on the manager's door and look to try and get some 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 minutes in the first team. Setting aside how difficult it is to gauge the, the level of the competition, these guys should look good. That's what you would expect. And the, and the younger guys, generally speaking, did look good and did look better than the opposition. So obviously a long way to go in their careers and how much we'll see some of them this season remains to, to be seen. But definitely a lot more positives to take out of that than the negatives. So I don't really think there's any need to be... I basically can't really read too much into it. But Absolutely not. Where are they? I think they head off to Spain now, don't they, for their training camp? Head to Spain on Monday. And Dave Cormack has confirmed this evening that Ilber Ramadani has got his visa now, so he'll be joining the camp in Spain as well. So that's a positive. That'll be the first time we get to see Ramadani in a 
in Aberdeen training gear, let's put it that way. Well, but that's also really good that he, on the assumption that he can get out there for the whole duration, I don't know what sort of, you know condition he's in, but even just getting a week with his new teammates is going to make a, a huge difference to his um, sort of integration into the what we assume will be the first team. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see as well if a couple of our other new signings who are not officially going to be Aberdeen players until um, their contracts expire with their other clubs maybe happen to just decide to take a week's holiday in Spain next week as well. We can maybe come on that in a minute. I think that's enough to talk about the bucket game. It is what it is. It's the, it's the first match of the preseason. Let's move on. So in other news from Pataudry this week, there's loads to talk about this week, chaps. Fucking loads. Let's start with the new strips, shall we? Because that's a nice easy one to get out of the way. Thoughts on the new home and away kits that were unveiled on Friday. Um, the the homage to the nineteen eighty three kits as well that they've uh, that that they are. I really like them. I probably unusually, I think I might prefer the away kit. They make it a beauty. They make they're it nice. both pretty cool, and they will be uh, they will be getting purchased. Um, I love the references to eighty three. Um, it's going to make the right kind of people fucking furious and be all like ah oh, they just live in the past da, 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 da. yeah know, motherwell fans coming at you you've got fucking nothing to talk about um i agree i think the way i love the away top i think that's my favorite um and in theory i think we should be able to see this one a little bit more than we did the uh the golden blue number we had last year which i think got worn once once united away the funes at ojo day of course yes that was it. That was it. Both absolute beauties, to be fair, at the club. Golf applause for um, Rob Wicks and everyone associated with it. I, I have one. I, I, I'm not sure about the badge. That's my only thing. I think it looks a bit clunky, but fuck it. Apart from that, everything else, excellent. I said it to somebody today earlier on. The club just needs to realise all they need to do in terms of away kits is a white number with red pinstripes one season, a navy, gold, a navy blue and gold number the alternate season, so all you need to do, lads. You don't need to piss about with this. This is easy stuff. People will buy them in their droves. Yeah, I, I'm really happy with actually how both of them look. I think they're they, they both look very classy numbers. Just a pity we couldn't get the classic Adidas trefoil, but hey, you can't have anything, I suppose. But a busy, busy, busy week of comings and goings at AB24. That's for sure. So let's start with the kind of newest news, shall we? And work our way backwards. I think that seems like a pretty sensible way to do this. So <clears throat> Sunday morning saw the announcement eventually that Declan Gallagher's contract with Aberdeen Football Club had been terminated. Halfway through his two-year deal, which means he becomes the fifth of our permanent signings from last summer to have had their contracts ended early. This followed on from what was a on-off, on-off, on-off saga trailed by Scott Burns, which started on Friday evening when the story broke that St Mirren had been given permission to speak to Gallagher, which got everyone on this podcast very, very excited, before Burns then recanted that story on Saturday afternoon indicating that St Mirren had pulled out of the deal before it was all back on again on Sunday morning. Confirmation was, was received pretty much straight away by the club that Gallagher's contract had been terminated. And within minutes of that departure being confirmed, he was signed up at St Mirren, re- reuniting with his former Motherwell manager, Stephen Robinson, in Paisley. Gallagher leaves Aberdeen, having made a total of 30 appearances in Reds. Gents, your thoughts on this one, other than the fact it's another damning indictment of our summer recruitment last time around. I can't believe he played 30 times. I was shocked when I saw that That's today. the bit I'm looking at and trying to figure out how that... 25 starts. ...actually computes, really? 25 starts, yeah. Yep. I would never have thought it was that I, many. I, I was the same. I was honestly like, that can't be right. But 
I think it works well for everyone that we call time on Declan Gallagher Aberdeen. Um, hasn't worked out at all in any way, shape or form. Um, we all had our doubts or our skepticism when he first signed up, given the style of football that we were talking about wanting to introduce and how Gallagher would fit into that, given his the bulk of his professional experience being at the likes of Livingston and Dundee and, and Motherwell. Um, but then he came in, but you're thinking maybe Glass wants to have one rock solid defender who's going to come in and do that part of the that part of the job, you know, be an absolute rock at the back and head everything away, dominate attackers. And he just, he never even did that. Um, and it never felt right to me, Gallagher being here. It never felt like he truly wanted to be here. I got a kind of bit of a sort of Charlie Mulgrew, you know, he doesn't give a fuck vibe <laughs> about um, about Declan Gallagher. And it's it's no surprise to me that he's departed. And it's no surprise to me that he's departed for, with the greatest respect, Sit Mirren. It's not as though he's gone to a Hearts or a United or something like that, where you can maybe look at it and think it's a sideways step or an upward step. Um, yeah, nowhere near good enough. And to be quite honest, I'm quite relieved that he has uh, parted ways with the club. Yeah, I probably just agree with Gavin. It's best for, for everyone. Like I'm saying, I can't remember exactly what I thought when he signed, but I think it was the line, along the lines of it's not so much he's a bad player, we didn't see how he was going to fit with what we were led to believe um, that you know the, the style was going to be, and he didn't fit with that. But as Gavin said, he didn't even give us the aggression and the sort of almost like thuggery that you kind of want in that role, because I don't actually think he's a bad player. It just did not work out for him at Aberdeen at all, so... It's just, yeah, it's good all round. Um, there's no point in him wasting time on the bench. There's no point in us paying him, although I'm sure we've maybe had to do something to get rid of him. But I'd probably rather we were tidying up the squad where we can. Because even just, not that I'm saying anything around his attitude of professionalism, but if you've got guys that aren't that happy and are never going to play, you don't necessarily want that atmosphere in and around the dressing room either. So I think you want a bunch of guys who are either playing and are happy with that or guys who genuinely think they can get into that team you know, he creates a better atmosphere, I think, than a few guys who are just there because they, they can't escape. So interesting to see how he gets on at St Mirren and whether we see the Deccan Gallagher that we had seen previously, but he was quite good at um, doing the dirty work, as it were. But yeah, not, not, not one for Aberdeen. And as you said, that's a pretty gross assessment of the summer recruitment. And the only thing that makes me a little bit worried there is I know we found out after that Mowbray came in, but fundamentally everyone who presumably has to sign off on these things is still there and is a part of the recruitment process so that's probably the only bit that maybe makes me a little bit nervous for for this season because we're not really seeing any of these guys who've signed play yet. My very real hope is that we see at St Mirren the Declan Gallagher that was getting bullied by a one-armed Kevin Van Veen preferably by one Bojan Miofsky if I might add. Yeah and not the Declan Gallagher who's wheeling away having scored the last minute winner for Simon. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, that, that's my abiding memory, I think, of, of Declan Garkin. I was going to be getting absolutely rinsed by Kevin Van Veen every time he went up against him and then getting bullied by a one-armed Kevin Van Veen at Fair Park, which was just, frankly, embarrassing. Um, you made a good point, though, Graham, about the fact that, you know, obviously a lot of the people who were involved in what happened in the summer recruitment last season are all still there. Um, we've we, Listen, we've talked about summer recruitment last year to death and... I think we all agreed we'd try and put the 20, 21, 22 season very much in the view mirror and not kind of talk too much about it anymore going forward. Somebody did make the good point today, though, I thought that at the very least, 
we are now properly clearing the decks of all these guys who it's fair to say we're not good enough for, for Aberdeen Football Club for where we want to be, where we want to go, for what we aspire to do going forward. Um, it's been an expensive fucking season of recruitment last year in many ways, not just in terms of what it cost us in terms of final league position, etc., but paying off a whole bunch of guys midway through contracts, etc. It's been an expensive, expensive mess we got ourselves into. And all I can hope is that the guys who are still in situ now have learned an awful lot of lessons about what happened last summer and, you know, are damn sure going to make sure that doesn't happen again. And if that's the case, then I kind of, we, we have to kind of take it on the chin a little bit and move on from it. But let's just hope that that is the case. Yeah, well, to, to put a final point on that, I would think um, if I was a betting man, I would say that we're not going to, we're not finished with our expenses in terms of clearing of the decks. No. Solely from last season, if I was uh, basing things on, on recent behaviour and, Christian Ramirez, he didn't look chuffed about scoring a penalty. I'm just going to say that. We all know it. We all know it now. We, we don't need to go over this old ground, but last year was no. a disaster in so many ways. And like you say, that, I don't know, Gallagher is one of those that really sticks out, though, as being just an all-round disaster from almost start to finish. Talking about guys who signed last summer permanently and who also departed the club, this week, Friday evening, saw it confirmed that Gary Woods' contract had been terminated 12 months early as well. Now, Woods leaves the Dons having made 10 appearances in total. This might shock you. Please make sure you're sitting down for this one. Failing to keep a clean sheet in any of them. Indeed, he conceded a goal within 30 seconds of his Aberdeen debut in the 2-2 draw with Livingston in the fourth round of the Scottish Cup back in 2021. I don't think there's any real shocks here to see him leaving, but does anyone have anything they'd like to say about Gary Woods? I don't recall him being that or being that put up or put off by him when he was here on loan first. And... I thought he would have been a reasonable understudy, but just, yeah, just not really, well, definitely nowhere near as good as Lewis, even though Lewis didn't have a vintage season last year. So again, it's just best for everyone that, that he moves on. You've got to assume that, as I said before, people who think we're maybe going to get, you know, another Lewis to sit on the bench, he does not have the budget for two quality keepers, in my opinion. So I'm hoping we've upgraded, but time will tell. It turns out that the third choice goalkeeper at Oldham is not ready to be the number one at Aberdeen who would have funked it. Um, yeah, we've said this again, nowhere near the level and refreshing to see because it means that we are making moves to bring in a replacement. And of course, we now, we now know who that replacement is, but I'll be, I'm interested to see if there will still be more in the, on the goalkeeping front coming. I've got a funny feeling we might not be finished there. Yeah, you think so? I think there's still maybe legs in this um, keeper from St. Mirren whose name I can't pronounce. Well, come on to that. Let's come on to that now then, okay? Because uh, the one thing, Gav, you can encapsulate this perfectly. That moment last season when there was a very vocal element of the Aberdeen support who suddenly decided that Gary Woods was the second coming of Manuel Neuer and then had to very, very quickly backtrack on that within about 10 minutes of his performance against Celtic. Uh, that might have to go down as one of the like worst moments I've had of following Aberdeen <laughs> standing in the red shed for the opening 10-15 minutes and hearing people wax lyrical about Gary fucking Woods and it was just like this guy's hopeless this guy's terrible why, why are we doing this I know Joe Lewis has had a bad start to the season but a blindfolded Joe Lewis is still better than Gary Woods and to, to credit the contributor on Twitter for that quote by the way yeah I don't know who um, it was but I mean when Gary Woods signed all I could really think of over and over again was Mikey Devlin scoring against him from 25 yards with a shot straight at Woods that's right. And, yeah. um, never really got any better. Um, yeah, much like um, 
much like a number of players we signed last year on either permanents or loans, just nowhere up to the standard. And it really does leave you scratching your head as to what the people who were in charge of recruitment were, were thinking, really. I don't think they were. I think it was just a case of he was here. Would you like another two-year deal, Gary? Yes, you would. Okay, perfect. That'll do. That ticks a box. Done. I don't know. Who knows? Anyway, in terms of incoming transfers, it's been a really, really busy week for the club this week so far. And it's now coming up to quarter to nine and the notifications hasn't flicked yet, but they're usually about nine o'clock, I think. So we'll wait and see what happens. So far, at the time of recording, five new players in the door this week in the form of Jaden Richardson, Liam Scales, Anthony Stewart, Boyan Miofsky, and finally Kelly Roos. And as we said, we've covered a lot of this in much more detail in our series of mini pods that went out earlier in the week. But the signing of goalkeeper Kelly Roos was announced just a couple of hours after full time in Bucket on Saturday evening. So this is the first time we've had the chance to talk about him, the three of us, arriving on a pre-contract once his current deal with Derby County expires, the 30-year-old Dutchman signing a two-year deal with the Dons. This one seems to have come about because Aberdeen and Ipswich couldn't agree a fee for the ex-Simmon goalkeeper uh, Vaclav Hadkley. There we go. That's a, that's an attempt at it there for you. Roos, a product of the PSV Academy and a former Dutch youth internationalist, signed for Derby in 2014, had loan spells at Rotherham, AFC Wimbledon, Bristol Rovers, Port Vale and Plymouth Argyle before he finally got a top team debut for Derby in January 2019, where he then played for the rest of the season, making 24 appearances for the Rams, including in the 2019 Championship playoff final at Wembley, where it's fair to say he makes a bit of a hash about dealing with a floated ball into the box where he's beaten to it by John McGinn for what turns out to be the winning goal as Derby failed to a 2-1 defeat to Aston Villa. Over 170 appearances to his name in England, leaves Derby having made 89 appearances in all competitions, mainly in the Championship, conceding 101 goals in that time. Fair to say there's been some mixed reaction to his capabilities from Derby fans. The general consensus appears to be that he's a good shot stopper, but potentially prone to errors and struggles with commanding his box. Um, that said, it does seem that Derby fans really, really, really resent that mistake he made in the playoff final. His data from the 2021 and the 2022 season indicates he's actually a pretty good goalkeeper at championship level. So you'd imagine he should really be in the mix for challenging Joe Lewis in the starting berth. And there's also part of me thinks Derby County fans seem to think that Craig Bryson is some sort of like footballing god. So maybe we should take their opinion on football with a massive, massive pinch of salt. Your thoughts on this one? I'm pretty sure they're also quite fond of Martin Waghorn. So... Um... Wow. There we go. Uh, I rest my case, Your Honour. His history, his credentials tend to indicate that, you know, nearly 100 games for Derby in the in the championship would suggest on paper that you must have something about him. Um, good experience. Um, good side. I think he's about six foot five. Good um, age. 30s in your prime for a, a goalkeeper. As far as coming in to provide competition, it sounds, it feels certain like an upgrade. Like, as we've just said, you know, this guy's played hundred times for Derby, compare that with, you know, Gary Wood's third choice at Oldham Athletic. That's, you know, a huge leap. Um, mixed reaction, but, you know, sometimes football fans can be a little bit swayed in their opinions of players based on single incidents. I think we'll all testify to that. I'm sure we've got a player in our past that we've just held a grudge against for one particular reason. I'm looking at you, Scott Brown, the goalkeeper. Um, just one player. <laughs> He's the first one that came to mind. Um, let's see what he comes and what he does. And but yeah, I'm I'm still thinking there could be movement elsewhere in the goalkeeping department. Just got a, just got a hunch. I don't really know. I don't know anything about him. I don't you know other than what you can find out online. 
So we'll see what happens. I just... The budget's never going to stretch to another excellent goalkeeper on the bench. So I'm sure he'll be fine. He is of a decent age and he's obviously got quite a wealth of experience. So from that point of view, that's quite good. And that you know maybe does mean he can really push Lewis. But we'll just wait and see. As for thinking there might be something else in the goalkeeper front, I'm not so sure because I don't see how we're going to have Lewis under contract what I assume is going to be the number two and then pay money both in wages and fees for the other guy who Gary <laughs> can pronounce better than I can who presumably <laughs> would have to be your number one if you are paying a transfer fee so then you've got to get rid of Lewis so I'm not so sure that all I'm not I don't see that happening personally I'm not saying it shouldn't happen I'm just saying I don't see it happening I can't remember I saw it posted I saw some interesting concept that um, there was potentially a swap deal on the goal between Lewis for Kladke and Lewis might go to Ipswich this is my thinking because I believe I believe Joe Lewis is from Norwich he's from Norwich yeah he's a Norwich fan so if he wanted potentially to move his family back closer to home I I know he's I know he's very settled in in Aberdeen but you know maybe at the point Joe Lewis is at a fresh challenge down the road might be appealing to him I think Jim Goodwin really wants insert name of goalkeeper here and yeah, I just I think that that chat was just intriguing me. So, um, but in saying that, Jim Goodwin was very complimentary of Joe Lewis in the statement um, that supported the signing of Roos. And maybe it's just a case that yeah, we've missed the boat on Pladsky or Ipswich have played. I think it's Ipswich played silly buggers. It it does strike me. So this is something we we very swiftly went like, well, fine, we will just move on to our next target, um, who who very well may have been Roos. We'll wait and see. It's going to be interesting to see what happens. Um, I'm hoping we can maybe try and talk to Lee Curtis again from the Derby Telegraph, maybe at some point this week, to get a bit more detail on on what we can expect from uh, Kelly Roos. Let's see where we go with that one. Fingers crossed he is as inspired a signing as our last Dutch goalkeeper was, with any luck. In terms of other incomings, now, Graham, you and I, we discussed the Liam Scales, Jaden Richardson deals in a bit of detail on episode 49.33. Gav, you edited that, obviously. You can join us for the actual episode itself. Anything you want to add to that particular conversation? Nothing in particular. I think I share the same feelings as yourselves regarding the um, the element of loaning a player from Celtic and the kind of almost double jeopardy. I mean, someone made the flippant but correct point of, oh, great, Liam Seals is in on loan. I can't wait to see him in the first league game of the season. Oh, wait. Yeah. And, you know, we've had our... We've been burned in the past through these kind of deals um you guys mentioned the cup final with celtic that ryan christie couldn't play in and then of course ryan christie went back to celtic as a much better player and scored the winner in the league cup final against ourselves and we got nothing for it in the end when they sold him on um if scales comes in and does well chances are he will have raised his profile to the point that he will either go back to celtic and play or he'll be sold to a team down the road for money we cannot afford uh, but in saying that it's happened now. He's in the door. He's an Aberdeen player for at least until January, as far as we know. And I think we need to make sure he's very well supported because I've seen some takes on Twitter that are a little bit troubling that suggest that he, one or two mistakes and he's going to be getting in the neck. And at the end of the day, it's not it's not his fault. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the, the thing that I thought was interesting, because this came as well after Graham and I had finished recording the episode about the Richardson scales thing, was that there was then uh, a piece in an article that Joe Sked wrote for the Scotsman where there was a lot of talk about the fact we're still trying to pursue a permanent deal and still trying to pursue that with Celtic. And it's like, 
it's this bit for me where I go, guys, stop shooting yourselves in the foot so much here. Like, if that's what we're trying to do, say that in the press release when we announce the signing that we're, you know, he's here, season long loan. We're currently also in dialogue with Celtic about how we potentially try to make that a permanent deal going forward. And then people would probably be a lot more, okay, cool, we could maybe get over the line right now an option to buy or whatever, but we're still working on it in the background. We might try to agree a fee, like a first option on him or whatever that we can crystallize in January or something. And I think people would just settle down a little bit about the whole thing. And it's just that thing about sometimes I think that our, the way we present news sometimes to the support is naive, I think is the best way to put it. I think that is very, very fair to say. Um, but again, just to reinforce, and I know I was a dick to Adam Montgomery most of last season. But, because he was uh, terrible. He was a fucking awful footballer. I know. I think I'd already made my mind up about him before he came, based on what I'd seen already. But, but that's a good example. This this where you feel sorry for a guy coming in that yeah. situation because everyone was expecting us to bring in striker, creative players, blah, 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 that window. And then we end up with a Celtic player on loan who's not even good enough to get in the first team. And, and you're like, all right, cheers, guys. It almost didn't matter the fact that it was him or the Celtic thing. It was the yeah. position, wasn't it? Like you said at the start. We know what we're crying out for, and that's yeah. not what we're crying out for. The impression I get is that Liam Skills is coming in to become a first team player, Aberdeen. He is absolutely in here to be first team footballer, no question about that. Which is the polar opposite of Adam Montgomery, who came, I think, to simply develop with no real intention of playing him in our team. Um, at which point you're just you do question why is he here? Um, Skills, he's he's young, but he's got a lot of experience. Um, yeah, playing at Shamrock Rovers, especially. Um, Doom Goodwin obviously knows him from the past uh, at Celtic. Um, well, I think that's a key thing for me as well about this deal is the fact that he's a player Goodwin wanted at St Mirren. So he's been tracking this guy for a while. Whereas like Montgomery, you're like, Stephen Glass won't know who Adam Montgomery was, you know, until about three minutes before he was probably told that's who you're getting for your left winger. Or when he turned you know? up Monday morning. So yeah. Who's this extra guy? Well, that's your new signing. So yeah, no, I think you're absolutely right. That's the bit that gives me some encouragement that... Um, this hasn't been a case where Celtic are coming around the league and going, does anyone want Liam Scales? Does anyone want Liam Scales? It's us going, our manager likes this guy. Let's see if we can get a hold of him. Yeah, and obviously, like you said, because he's been tracking him, has clearly decided, I know how I want to play, whether it's whatever defensive formation he wants to use or just the types of guys he wants in there. There's a guy that we he's now got a chance of working with because we can do that deal as Aberdeen and he maybe obviously yeah. couldn't buy him when he was at St Mirren. So that does give me a bit of confidence. I think it's a fair point that, which I thought about afterwards, just because there isn't currently a deal or the potential of a deal doesn't mean that those conversations aren't taking place or won't take place. We couldn't get something over the line. On the flip side, come, I don't know, January, we might be delighted that we were able to punt him back because yeah. it didn't work out. So these things can go both ways. But I think I would focus on the positives. The manager has got a defender in who he's wanted for a period of time albeit another club, he's got a guy that he know, presumably knows, right, this guy can do the job I want of him. That's probably all we should be focusing on. It might even be a simple case as well, timelines that we're talking to Celtic, because the scale thing's been trailed for a while. Like, it's not as though this came out of nowhere. We've been linked with them now for a good three weeks at the very least. And is it a case that we've been in discussions with Celtic about it? For whatever reason, they're not quite at the point here where they are willing to allow him to go permanently, whether that's at the end of the season, at the end of the season or whatever. And the manager's just gone, look, I really want him in the door before we go to Spain. I really want him in the door 
ASAP so we can build a team with him in the core of it rather than having to wait till the end of the transfer window to find out what Celtic will or will not do. And so he's just gone, well, fuck it, get the loan done for the season and then we take it from there. I mean, that's probably applying way too much common sense to this discussion. No, that's a fair point because Celtic might just be, like, you don't know what their plans are for the window. So they might be saying, look, you can have him on loan. We're not going to play him this season, but we're not getting bogged down wasting time with transfers because we've got our stuff to do. Maybe they get someone in themselves, in which case they, they don't need him, and that's when it frees it up. So you're right, you don't know what their plans are. I think as well, the Celtic are suffering a bit because uh, the boy Starfelt has picked up an injury in the internationals. So they're currently out there looking for cover at the back anyway. So it could, excuse me, it might simply be a case of them waiting until they get somebody in as well, until they actually then go, right, fine. We've now got the covers we want here, plus Starfit when he's fit. We can kind of now move on from that and, and allow scales potentially to go out. Who knows? Let's 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 wait and see what happens on that one um going forward. I like the cut of his Jeb in his red TV interview. Just not very sure about his barnet though. Needs to get that sorted out. Hot kettle. I will um I'm interested to see how this develops, but I one thing I do think I feel that now that Gallagher has left, I do wonder if we will be Still, I don't think it'll be a priority, but we'll still be pursuing another setter back because, as it stands, we would be having Bates, uh, Scales, and Anthony Stewart as the senior setter backs. I know Ross McCrory could go in if we needed him, and there's chat that Mason Hancock's away out on loan. Jack Milne played setter half against Bucky, but not his natural position. So, it'd be interesting to see if we still uh, want to get another body in there. You've got Evan Towler as well, who did well at Elgin last season. So, they might decide to go with three. Mm-hmm. plus McCrory plus others I don't know we'll wait and see I guess what happens there let's look then as well now at um, Anthony Stewart and Boyan Miofsky because I ended up having to do those minis myself and again I've not really spoken to you boys properly about other than a couple of texts what are your general thoughts on both these moves let's start with Anthony Stewart it's always encouraging when the fans of the club that the player is leaving are pretty much resounding in their praise of him as a player and as a character so that's encouraging. And um, we've had endorsements from, you know, Jack Grimmer, ex Aberdeen player, and the beast himself, Akin Venwa. So his word is good enough for me. Um, and the chat that you had with the, um, Colin from the Wickham Sound yeah, um, makes out that he's a very proper old school defender, enjoys the art of defending and winning balls, clearing the ball away, winning tackles. And I mean, anyone that watched Aberdeen last year will testify that that's exactly what we need. Um, and it's good as well that he's 29, is a good age. He's got a lot of experience playing in England. And I think we were starting to look like we were lacking a little bit in experience. Um, yeah. So I think that's a really, it's a solid addition, I think I've got. I'm really excited to see what Anthony Stewart's going to bring. Yeah, pretty much in the same boat. Uh, obviously, you can sort of have a, have a look for the, the feedback and read his stats and stuff like that. It's always difficult to know how comparable teams are and levels are and will he settle here, et cetera, et cetera. But on the face of it, it all looks about right when we were saying take going to night with the the teams just that wealth of experience where does that leave us just not just average experience but game experience in our defence at that point in time and it left us really really light so we're starting to replace some of that which I think will be very important he's presumably used to a reasonably physical level of football uh, it's not the most cultured maybe at that level but it's not always the most cultured here so I don't think he's going to get caught out or it's going to be a big surprise that oh things are quite tough here um, so yeah I'm looking forward to seeing how that works out again decent age so that if he's good you know hopefully you've got him for a few seasons um, and just sort of watch this space to be honest 
I've got I've got this really weird sneaky suspicion that Anthony Stewart might be the best bit of business we do in the window. I, I don't know why. I just have this little funny feeling that I like think he's going to come in not particularly heralded. We're not paying a transfer fee for him. Everyone's looking at it going a bit, okay, it's a bit maybe run in the mill, coming from England, blah, blah, blah. I was quite encouraged when I spoke to Colin just about the, the notion of him being an old school central defender, no nonsense, will come in and do his business. And if there's one thing we absolutely needed to sort out last season, it was how we were at the centre of the, of the, of the park, particularly in the defensive unit. So a guy who comes in and just does that, to me, would be like a, a vast improvement where we were last year. So Stop what we thought we were getting McGallagher, wasn't it? Yeah, I think so. Um, so I, I'm very, very kind of intrigued to see how he goes. It's a big step for him. He's played his entire career basically at Wickham. He had a small like six month spell at Crew Alexandra, then went back to Wickham again. And I think I did set to Colin like sometimes players just get so comfortable with the environment and the club they're at, and that's that suits them and fits them down to a T. This will be the first time he's you know, are the concerns about the fact he went to Crew and it only lasted six months. And is he going to have a problem coming and settling at Aberdeen, for example? But he's also older now. He's 29, good age again for a central defender. Let's let's wait and see how, how we go there. On Thursday, the news broke as well uh, in the afternoon that we'd signed North Macedonian international Bojan Miofsky on a four-year deal from MTK. Budapest paying an undisclosed fee for the striker, which... Again, we spoke about it in the mini pod with uh, Aaron and with Philip that early in the window it had been rumoured we might have to pay something in the region of a million euros to secure Miofsky. It looks as though that is probably near the kind of £600,000 mark is what we paid for him. So still for us, not an insubstantial sum of money. This one's generated a lot of intrigue, a lot of excitement. Um, again, we haven't had a chance to speak about it yet. So gents, your thoughts on the acquisition of Bojan Miofsky? Well, first of all, it's nice to have a foreign feeder team. All the big clubs have that, so that's good. <laughs> so, uh, shout out to Budapest. Um, uh, again, I'm quite excited about this one. Obviously, culturally, don't know how he's going to fit in different league, etc., etc. But on the face of it, it's totally left field to what we would normally go for. It's really, if you know, even if six hundred thousand pounds is anywhere near the mark, that is quite a sizable sum of money for Aberdeen to be paying so obviously that comes with the price tag comes with the pressure you know a couple of bad games and people are on him and stuff like that but I'm quite excited about it it's different to what we've had in the past in terms of a signing strategy so I'm really quite looking forward to seeing how this works out it might take my wee while to, to settle down but there are quite a lot of things to to like in that so this one could be quite exciting I mean there's the element of mystery isn't there from him coming from Hungary and us not being overly familiar with that league, but um, that YouTube compilation that we've seen, and yes, take those, you know, with a pinch of salt, because I'm pretty sure Tor Chris Jansen looked pretty handy off the back of a YouTube compilation. Was YouTube a thing back when Tor Chris Jansen signed? It Probably was not, because, no, it was because Gary sent me a link going, oh, this guy's amazing. It turns out he's not. Yeah, him, him and I'm the paddle, him and the Patalinans. Um, but what I would say is that first goal in that compilation, the loft over the keeper at close yeah, quarters. Beautiful. Donkeys don't do that. So this guy's clearly got something about him. Someone's going to link me to a YouTube clip of now Sam Cosgrove scoring that goal against Motherwell, aren't they? <laughs> proving, my, <laughs> proving my theory wrong. Um, but I liked what um, what both Aaron and Philippe had to say about him in terms of the, uh, the quality he's got and the ability he has to develop further at Aberdeen. 
uh, the versatility that he's got. He is, I think, a striker, but he's got the ability to play as a number 10 or shift out wide if we need to, if we need to mix things up a little bit. Um, it's the kind of profile player that you want Aberdeen to be signing, isn't it? Young international players with potential real sell-on value and on such a good deal. Um, you know, Bajawin, we didn't know of. He's come in. He looks very, very handy. And I look forward to Boyan doing the same and making first place in the in the Scottish Golden Boot next year. Absolutely. I think I was going to say Gav's point around not knowing what the level like is like, but I think that's good because, I mean, how many times have we, you know, you're signing someone recently recovered from like their eighth cruciate surgery from League One or something, and you look at the record and think that's shit and have an idea of what that level of football is like. Where is the excitement here? You can't, or I can't do that here. So look at this and you think, well, the record looks all right. But the exciting bit is the mystery of, I have no idea if that means he's actually really good or if this is going to go horribly wrong. But I'm still really quite excited about it, more than I would be of looking at, oh, he's played at the bottom end of the championship or hovered around League One for five, six years. We've all heard of him. He's all a bit meh. We all know how this is going to go because it's the same way it always goes. This one's genuinely, like seemingly out of nowhere, and if this is the sort of way we're going to be doing our recruitment, then you hope we're picking up a couple of guys that, uh, you know, maybe we're getting them for the bigger boys, take them off us. But still, you then get the benefit of him hopefully having performed well in the team and get a return on your investment because sadly that's the way we're going to have to go. Well, I mean, we've got the direct experience of having been Aberdeen fans watching teams from places like Macedonia or even yeah. Iceland or um, places further afield and seen up close and personal that some of these players have got incredible technical ability in comparison to your average Scottish footballer. Yeah. So we know that there's definitely a mark out there to exploit if we can. And, you know, to further add to that, I mean, you know, was it a couple of years ago, Ferran Savros, who are, of course, Champions League, I think they smashed Celtic, didn't they? Probably everyone yeah. smashed Celtic in the Champions In League. Europe, I'm sure they did. So, uh, you know, there's clearly something about that league that uh, extends to players that have got something about them and yeah Boyan heavily you know the chat was that he was heavily being looked at by teams across Europe and we've been we've been smart we've been aggressive and we've been fast and we've got got in there and got the deal done and I think credit has to go to everyone involved um, and yeah. Stephen Gunn, Dan Mowbray, Jim Goodwin the chairman I know we've been pretty harsh on them in the past so when they do things like this yeah credit where credit's due. Well maybe this is us now starting to see you know presumably this has been a work in progress over the previous months. Uh, so you're right, maybe this is them just, they know what they want and as soon as the opportunity is there, they're just getting after these guys or at least the guys at the, the top of the list with a view that obviously they've, we've got a limited budget, but within reason of it, so within what we've agreed we can pay, let's just go and get it done, let's not be dicking about um, and get them in sooner rather than later. So it's a little bit more, obviously the last couple of transfer windows were disgusting, but prior to that, it's a little bit more exciting <laughs> in that there's guys that you don't know. And I know that kind of can go both ways, but yeah, I'm more excited by that. It's nice to know you don't know if he'll be shit or not, other than signing Curtis Main, where you go, he will be shit. Why are we doing this? And yeah. then, you know, yeah, insert generic name here. Why are we doing this? So yeah, absolutely. And that's where I'm coming from. This is, it's probably been a wee while since I feel like we've done anything like this that you can think, oh, I, I actually have no idea how this is going to go. But that's actually a little bit more exciting than being pissed off, basically, because here's a guy who's done nothing for five or six years, and all of a sudden he's got a three-year deal here. I mean, you guys can maybe mention a name to me that's more recent, but the only name I can think of in terms of like 
excitement, intrigue from lack of knowledge almost would be Hisham Zerowali. And of course he was, for the most part, very, very good. Maybe not as consistent as we would have liked, but you know, he had yeah. something about him. He was a bit of a magician. I, I'm slightly more recent. I'm going to say... Jeffrey DeVisher. I thought this guy arrived with a lot of everyone going, ooh, this could be good. DeVisher. Because everyone's like, ooh, tricky Dutch winger. Nice. He looks the part. Little kind of squat, greasy hair. Looks like he could be a real player. And then I, I remember being at Tanadice for his first game. And I can't, was it the, did the Red Final do a big thing about this, I think? It was like you get it. It was first day of the season. You get into the ground full of anticipation, excited to see your new, your new players and the warm-up starts and... Oh, they're going to do the shooting drills and you get the first chance to see what he does and he blazes it over the top of the shed. And then <laughs> the next four are scuffs and the next three are shanks and you just sit there with that horrible sinking feeling of, oh, I suppose, terrible. <laughs> I would say Devish is the last one I can remember where there was that kind of sense of, well, this is a bit different. Let's see what happens here. Did Fernstyle come after him? Nah, so I was before before? Before. Yeah, before. First Snow was... He was quite exciting. That worked out quite well for the first couple of games. First Snow was Jimmy's, I want to say, second season at Aberdeen. Okay. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. 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 Devisher was here, the, the Queen of the South season. And of course, the last striker we signed on a four-year deal was Stevie May, so it doesn't always work out. No, it doesn't. But again, though, but that was one where you sat and went... Uh. I, I think we were all... Generally I think speaking, we were, but I think, but I think a lot of people also had that nagging bit in the back of their head going... He's got no knees, and we've just signed a guy in a four-year deal. And you kind of go, uh, "I'm kind of hoping it comes in as well." And then it's like, uh... I don't recall being particularly excited today because I I never am, and B because <laughs> <laughs> I didn't actually rate him as much as certain people on this podcast. Gary did the first time round like when he was younger at St. Johnson, so I just never really saw it anyway. But your point is absolutely valid. That is a guy who had had injury, well, pretty bad injuries. Yeah. Lost a forum, done basically nothing in the latter couple of years of his career, and then all of a sudden we come in, pay money, and give him an obscene deal and big money. Yeah, of course, Cold, everyone, hard yeah. cash. Yeah, and that was everyone was looking at that thing. This makes zero sense at all, apart from Gary, who was probably like, "Yeah, what a player." <laughs> this little section I feel just encapsulates our entire podcast. We started so positively, and now we're talking about Stevie May. <laughs> yeah, it's true. It's so true. It's so true. Let's go back to positivity. Boyan Miowski. He's gonna be, he's gonna be a smash, isn't he? He's just gonna light it up. MVP, I think, is what the Americans say. <laughs> um, I've got a funny feeling Connor Barron's gonna like scoop up all the prizes at the end of next year, but uh, yeah, Boyan will be a close second for Player of the Year. Lovely, lovely stuff. If you want to hear more about our new acquisitions, head back to the archives. The last week, Gav, bless you, you've had to you know throw these edits out as quickly as we could get them done. Um, episode 49.33 is looking at Liam Scales, Jaden Richardson in the company of Lee Curtis on the Derby Telegraph who'd watched a lot of Jaden Richardson last season for Notts County episode 49.666 looks at Anthony Stewart in the company of Colin Blessey from the Wickham Wanderers show podcast and then episode 49.750 because we thought we might have to squeeze another one in there Looks at Boyan Miofsky in the company of Aaron Arioshi, who's a Hungarian journalist, watched a lot of uh, Miofsky last season at MTK, and Philip Mishoff, who's a Macedonian freelance sports journalist and has a lot to say on the Macedonian front. Go check them out. They go into loads more detail than what we've done here. Hopefully, fingers crossed, we might have to um, dust down the old mini pods again. I'm still keeping an eye on these Twitter notifications. So, mate, it's 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 
21-13, and Davy, you've still not announced it yet. This is getting worrying. That granny is, you know, she needs out of that cage. Sharpish. She's not been fed for two days. Gavin Alexander has recommended questions for uh, the chairman if he ever wishes to come on the show, by the way. <laughs> Let's uh, far does he get his Rowies fee? Nice. How much does he hate Kenny McIntyre? And who's his favourite in Love Island? I'm not asking that last one. That ain't <laughs> happening. So, the Dons obviously head off on Monday for their pre-season training camp in Spain in with, with Ilber Ramadani in tow, as it turns out. Let's see what else happens in terms of incomings and outgoings this week as we build towards our Premier Sports League Cup opener at Peterhead. A week on Sunday, a week on Sunday. It's not far away at all, is it, lads? It's not far away at all. I'm getting that bag of cans ready for the barbecue. Yeah, the barbecue at a Palmer. <laughs> Fucking hell. <laughs> so that wraps up part one of this week's show. Join us after the break for part one of our interview with Don's legend, Stuart McKinney. Welcome back to the ABZ Football Podcast. And before we get cracking with the interview with Stuart, we just want to give Al, Roy, Mark, Graham and Scott a shout out for your contributions to the ABZ FP Beer and Coffee Fund, especially to you, Scott. That puts you into like top tier VIP bracket, I think it's fair to say. We see you, your bread's much appreciated. If you'd like to help keep us fueled in beers or coffees, head over to ko-fi.com forward slash abz football podcast the link is in the description shout us a beer or a coffee it is very much appreciated yeah there were some very generous donations in this week i would say that scott has probably won himself the most amount of priority points i'd say yeah if we're keeping it topical he smashed his abz fp dna this week <laughs> so uh there's a man who typed in the wrong number hit send and then realized he can't <laughs> retract it but we're uh, we're extremely uh, grateful and unfortunately, there is no refund policy in the, in our coffee. Um, yeah, much appreciated. So thank you very much. It's a 12-month deal, just like your DNA. That's it. <laughs> but not like Jet's deal. What are we going to do for priority points? What will people get? First dibs on a coffee cup if we get some more made? Credibility. Credibility. That's all you want. That's all you need. Without any further ado, though, it's time now for part one of an interview with a man signed by Sir Alex Ferguson in December 1983, who won... European Super Cup against Hamburg and scored the winning goal against Hearts Town Castle on the 2nd of May 1984 to secure the Dons' third league title, going on to make 561 appearances in that famous red shirt, placing him fifth on the all-time appearance list for Aberdeen. The man who captained the side to a League Cup triumph in 1995, a man who, for my money, I don't know about Gav, Graham, he should already be in the FC Hall of Fame, but isn't that's a bit of a travesty. Agreed. So that can be our next campaign. With the accolades this guy has got in his CV, absolutely, 100%, first class, first ballot Hall of Famer. Definitely, and a great interview. It's part one of our chat with Stuart McKimmy. Stuart McKimmy, welcome to the ABZ Football Podcast. Great to have you with us, Stuart. How's things? I'm fine. Very, very well, I must say. Um, healthy, most importantly. Absolutely. Hey, so Stuart, let's just, let's just start at the beginning, eh? So... Born in Aberdeen, October 1962. Was football always your, your sport of choice when you were growing up? Yes, it was actually. Uh, we, we way back in that day, yeah, 
you're outside all the time and in, in every opportunity you got to play football, you did. Uh, you played in the streets and it is true because a lot of youngsters these days that understand that we used to play football in the streets, but we did. There wasn't as many cars then. It was a lot safer. So <laughs> I don't encourage youngsters to play in the streets. But <laughs> Absolutely. And I'm thinking, I'm right in thinking, Stuart, we talked about this before, that your, your boyhood team was actually Leeds United. Yeah, I mean, I'm suffering badly just now because... <laughs> Uh, I was my aim was always to see them in the Premiership, and uh, it's fingers crossed they've got four four cup finals to play uh, to stay in the league. And if they if they don't win them, then they're relegated. It's as simple as that. Absolutely. Any particular reason why it was Leeds for you, and who was your your favourite player growing up? I think back in that, well, was, I, I, my first recollection of I support Leeds was like 1971 um, when they played. Uh, the cup final, they beat Arsenal in a, in a cup final. Then I think the following season, they they lost to uh, Sunderland 1-0. And uh, my old football manager scored the winning goal, Ian Porterfield. Uh, so back in that days, uh, Leeds, well, I, in fact, up until now, I think Leeds have always had um, a strong Scottish connection in their, in their team. And then back in that day, it was like Billy Bremner played, and you had Peter Lormer, Gordon McQueen, David Harvey. I'll always, they always had uh, good Scottish players playing there. And but most importantly, back in those days, um, people, kids didn't, you didn't get spoiled and get football kits. And the Leeds kit was so easy; it was a pair of white, white socks, a pair of white shorts, and a white t-shirt, and you were Leeds. So there you go. So talk to us a wee bit Stuart, about just your um, your youth career before you end up moving to Dundee. Yeah, I mean, I um, started playing football. Well, I, I used to stay in Cove and I played um, for the, the local primary team. Um, we only had, I think, I'm sure we only played something like, uh, there was five teams in the league and you played each other twice and then there was a cup competition. So you'd be lucky if you played 10 games a season. And uh, I mean, it was, it, it was all you ever did was play football. Um, I didn't play, I then moved, once I uh, went to secondary school, I then moved to King Course, um, and I played for King Course Academy. Um, at Cove, I must say, going back to Cove though, when I played at Cove, I used to, to play centre forward, uh, believe it or not, and uh, uh, my claim to fame was I scored 10 goals in a game, we beat Newton Hill 13-0, and I got 10 of them. So, um, But then when I moved to King Course, um, I think the the manager then uh, he he noticed that uh, he noticed something that it, uh, that I, I was you know, he seen something about me being a kind of good defender playing me at the back and that's really how I ended off going to the again, playing at the back in my career. So played for King Academy, played for um, Lads Club. That was oh, my yeah. first juvenile club um, at under 14s and then I played for D side under 16s. And that's when I was spotted uh, by Dundee, the Dundee scout, to way back uh, in what was that, about 1978, 79. So, yeah, how did the, what was the kind of approach from Dundee and how did you end up going there? And obviously, you're an Aberdeen lad. Was there any interest from the Dons at the time? Oh, I did. I mean, before I went to Dundee, I, I did. I was invited to train with, with Aberdeen. Uh, it was a Monday night training session and it, the late... Neil Cooper played, uh, was training there, John Hewitt, Neil Simpson. Uh, all the guys at that, in my era were, were, were training at that time. And, and I remember we played in the, we trained in the place pitch outside uh, on Pataudry Street there. And I remember going and just didn't feel right. I just didn't enjoy it. I just didn't think you kind of fitted in. And I didn't go back. Um, 
And Dundee um, had been in the scout there. A guy called Jimmy Summers had been watching um, again, quite regular the in the youth. I'd be playing at the, the youth level, and uh, he asked us to come down for for trial. Well, for training actually, it was a Monday night. We used to, it was five of us actually at the time from Aberdeen went down in the train. We used to get the train down after school, go and do the training or play a match, and then come and take the train back. And that's what we did uh, every Monday um, for about six months. Um, so I was down there at that time. I was quite lucky because I was other Aberdeen players uh, in Aberdonians down with me. I was like uh, Ray Stephen, who had a, a good mm-hmm. career with Dundee. Um, he went to Nantes uh, in France, um, played for Celtic and on Leeds, actually. I, I had a few appearances with <laughs> those clubs. Uh, I was a guy called Ian Matheson, Jerry Davidson and Kevin Mann. So these these guys didn't go on to, uh, to, to be professionals, but they went and played it in Highland League level. And they have been successful in business. So um, that was kind of how it all started. And then uh, just through going, getting uh, training and, and uh, playing in matches, um, I think at the time, Tommy Gemmell was a manager at Dundee and he, had, uh, he was keen to get us taken, I uh, to come up full time. Uh, but it all depended, they were in the old first division at the time, Dundee, and it all depended on them getting promotion. If they got promoted, they were going to call us up. To, to go on the ground staff. If they didn't, then we we would. I don't know what would have happened actually. But fortunate enough for for us um, that they did get promoted and you and you went full time. Fourteenth of October, nineteen eighty. A first team debut for Dundee comes in a first division fixture at Dens Park against Hamilton Ackies. Two no win for the Dark Blues. Before you then start the next two league fixtures then drop out of the squad due to injury before coming back in for a 2-1 win at home to Dumbarton in March 81, before you go on to make 17 appearances in total for Dundee that season across all competitions, 15 starts. Dundee end up finishing second in, as you say, the old first division to secure a return to the Premier Division. At the end of that campaign, were you starting to think you were a real part of the first team at Dundee? Yeah, I mean, I think, I mean, I got in, I got in quite quick, actually. I was quite surprised there. How quickly you got your opportunity. It was just, uh, I think it was Eric Schiedler was the left back at that time. And when I made my debut, I, I mean, I'm naturally was right footed. And uh, Donald Mackay, he was the manager at that time, had says to me, uh, we, we want you to play it, but you'll be playing left back. And uh, I think it, I mean, it was good a victory. And I played in, as you say, three games in a row. Then I got my, I was out for, for three months uh, with a, a knee ligaments down at Berwick. I, I think we beat Berwick 1 0 in the I managed to get myself injured. Um, but no, I think once you got, again, once you were in it, it was great. And then we were out for that period of time. And I, I mean, it's always a worry when you're injured, getting you're young. You're, you're, well, I suppose you're young and you, you don't know any better, but you just think, God, I've got the opportunity and now it's gone. Um, but no, I think Donald, Donald Mackay had great faith in me and uh, he gave us the opportunity and I've got a lot to thank him for. Yeah, and then the following season, it's a, a bit of a struggle for Dundee um, in the top flight again. They finish in eighth spot, safe from relegation by four points. Another 22 appearances for you across all competitions before making a total of 33 appearances in the 82-83 campaign. Dundee claiming the table, finishing in sixth position that year. At what point did you start thinking about perhaps life after Dundee or were you even thinking about getting a move away? Well, to be honest with you, um, I didn't. I, had, I mean, I had no uh, at the time when I was before I signed for Aberdeen. I had six months left in my contract, and I was just like every other younger player at that time. You were just hoping you're going to be awarded another contract. 
So it was very, very... I mean, I, I was actually shocked. I mean, I remember the game, uh, my last game for Dundee, and what happened, I mean, we, we played Hibs, we lost uh, 3-0 on a Saturday to Hibs, and uh, before we left the ground, I was told to go and see the manager. And my, I always remember thinking, God, I, I know we got beat 3-0, but I don't think I was maybe the cause of the 3-0 defeat personally. <laughs> uh, and I was just a bit concerned about what was going to happen. And I, I always remember his words. He says, uh, then I worry, he says, um, what I want to tell you is we've actually sold you. That's why I was told. I thought, what? what do you mean you've sold me? I don't, you can't just sell me. I mean, something to sell. He says, no, no, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Um, you're, you're, uh, it's, it's to your home team at Aberdeen. And I'm like, the well, last thing I knew, kind of unexpected, was that anybody was, well, first and foremost, scouting me and then to, to be uh, thinking about joining Aberdeen at the, certainly at the time these, uh, after winning the, the, uh, that season of winning the Cup Winners' Cup. And I, and I just thought, well, I can't believe this is happening. Uh, and so I met Donald Mackay in Aberdeen that night. I met him at the top of, uh, top of Market Street. He picked me up in his car and took me to Pitori. Yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll come back quickly onto the move itself. You're obviously, um, for most people, just to fill people in, I guess, 19th of April 1983. So as Dundee are trying to make themselves uh, to, to try and get as far up the, the Premier Division table as you can at that point. Aberdeen are in Belgium that evening to play Watershy in the second leg of the semi-final of the Cup Winners' Cup. Stuart Kennedy suffers what turns out to be eventually a career-ending injury, catching his studs on the edge of the pitch. And at that point, it wouldn't have been widely known how bad the injury that Stuart Kennedy suffered that evening. But everyone knows what happens for Aberdeen that season. The, the Cup Winners' Cup secured after that famous night in Gothenburg. Another Scottish Cup is popped into the cabinet. And then into the following season, it's becoming increasingly clear that Stuart Kennedy's career is going to be over. You continue to be a first choice at Dundee. You make 24 appearances in all competitions. Before, as you just touched on there, it's announced on the 12th of December, 1983 that Aberdeen have agreed a fee with Dundee uh, for you to come in and sign them. I mean, I take it you didn't really need any persuasion to to make the move north. No, I mean, I think yeah, I mean, I think you've touched on where Dundee were finishing in the or in the league, and, and uh, you're you're going from a team that's struggling every week to get a win, uh, struggling against relegation every season. Uh, and hey, I've got a lot to thank Dundee for. They gave me uh, the opportunity, the platform uh, to have a good career. But it was a no-brainer. I mean, I didn't. Uh, I, I went to Aberdeen and, and, and met Alex Ferguson that night after the head game, and uh, you, you just signed a four and a half year contract. And and I was no, and I wasn't much bargaining. You didn't have a chance to bargain with Fergie in those days. I didn't have an agent, uh, and all I was delighted was I was getting a four and a half year contract. So my my, my immediate future. Um, and I, I'd booked my immediate future rather than worrying about six months left in my contract was going to happen I knew I was uh, I had a, a contract for four and a half years and you're pretty much stuck into the deep end uh, a home debut for the club against Hibs who you've just played the week before uh, five days after you sign a 2-1 win for Aberdeen is then followed up just three days later with a European debut for yourself in the form of the second leg of the 1983 European Super Cup against the reigning European champions Hamburg. I mean, it's a pretty easy start to life as an Aberdeen player, isn't it, Stuart? Well, I think it was. Um, I think it was made easy. I mean, I think um, people people spoke to me about how I improved when I went first went to Aberdeen, and I'm like, I said, no, I said, I'm just I'm still doing the same things that I did at Dundee, but the difference is you play with better players, and that's and it made. I mean, I. Gordon Strachan played in front of me and he, he made it so easy for me. He was always available for the ball. When I had the ball, he was an outlet. When I was under pressure defending, he was back helping out. 
and you were surrounded by really good uh, class players. And it was so, so easy. I, I do believe, and this is never the lie, I do believe that any player could have fitted into that team. You're surrounded by great players, and it, and it made it so easy. As you say there, I mean, you're going into a dressing room full of winners and, and very good players, but equally, you're going into a, pers- a dressing room with a lot of big personalities. We've had the, the pleasure of talking with one or two of them. Who kind of stood out to you in terms of, you know, the personalities and people who welcomed you into the dressing room? Um, well, I obviously knew a few of them. Um, I knew, uh, like I said, the late Neil Cooper played against him at school, John Hewitt, uh, Neil Simpson. Uh, I played with all of these and played against these guys at, at the school football. So, um, but I mean, the likes of Gordon was I mean, really, really uh, helpful for me. Big Doug Rugby was, was a good lad, um, got on really well with Big Doogie. Uh, and Peter Weir as well, also a very nice kind of very nice guy. But no, I think at that time the uh, there was no issues. I mean, uh, the the welcome Jen as though you had been there all your days. I mean, uh, uh, I mean, uh, it was I think it maybe was a wee bit. I mean, Stuart Kennedy was quite a big personality in the dress room, uh, and I think it was quite. I mean, it felt a wee bit awkward that you were brought in there to replace him. I know. I mean, I think he's six. I think they kind of they hoped he might be able to ask, he might be able to get back, but he, unfortunately he didn't. And uh, it was a wee bit awkward because as I say, Stuart was a he was one of the big personalities <laughs> in the dressing room. He was one of the guys that liked to be heard and uh, a very funny guy as well, to be honest. I'm talking about big personalities and people who like to be heard. What sort of advice did Sir Alex Ferguson give you ahead of that game in Hamburg? Well, that's a that's a good question, actually, because um he was kind of see. He wasn't somebody that um, took you aside. Well, he didn't take me aside. Um, I think he, he had a great. He, he knew how to pull my strings actually, and, and I always remember one thing he did say to me was because uh, I mean he, he always used to shout and ball and whatever. And he says the minute I stop shouting at you, I'll, I'll have washed my hands of you. So I took it as a positive. As long as he keeps shouting at me, he knows I can give more and more. Um, and no, I mean I. Uh, a lot of respect for 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 uh, Alex Ferguson. Um, I mean, he wasn't everybody's cup of tea. I'm sure if you interviewed uh, a, uh, most of the players he had played under him, the I'd probably be an equal split about. I don't think that people would say that they really loved him, but I think the respect, and I think there's a lot, a lot of respect because he knew um, exactly what to do to get the best out of players and. Uh, he wouldn't have signed me if he hadn't. Can he did a lot of homework? Um, he, I remember I used to travel up and down the train in the train with Walker McCall uh, the last six months when I was at Dundee. And little did I know that Fergie had been speaking to Walker McCall during that period, and he was finding out a wee bit about uh, my lifestyle, my home life, my family. And he, he did this uh, with all the players he signed. He always found out a wee bit about you, so that he knew if, if kind of how to maybe how to handle you or, or if you would fit into what he's looking for. And that's something obviously he kept on, you know, throughout his career really, wasn't it? And there's a lot of famous stories about what he used to do with the young lads at Manchester United definitely coming through there as well. But Stuart, if you can, just try and sum up to us, you know, the atmosphere in, in Pataudry of the evening of the, the Super Cup tie against uh, Hamburg. And what's kind of running through your head, especially at final whistle where, like I say, you've, you've just joined the club over a week ago. And here you are now, part of the side who's become the undisputed best team in Europe at that point. Yeah, I mean, I think when you get a full houses like that, I think there's only there's a lot of kind of because it's so noisy, it's like a a lot of blur. So the, uh, which is which is good because you don't really hear can the individual shouts and stuff, but it can be um, 
eerily quiet. Also, kind of, it was a full house. And then, but I think the atmosphere for that game was fantastic. I think the, the fans, I mean, hey, that was a, the, what, yeah, what an era to be playing for Aberdeen Football Club and to be supporting them. I mean, you're beating the best teams, not only in Scotland, but in Europe. Uh, and I think uh, everybody was going to, well, I think you're gonna, you were taken aback actually how well Aberdeen had managed to do. Um, it's one of those things that you've kind of, you, you're in a you've got a group of players um, who collectively work well together. I wouldn't say there was individual superstars. I think collectively everybody was very good. They got on well. Uh, a lot of respect, and I think the I think the fans uh, can, I mean, they were they were blessed and spoiled by success for a number of years. Uh, and and well. I think the young kids nowadays kind of believe uh, us oldies talking about how good Aberdeen were. But um, no, I, I mean, it was easy for me. I just, uh, as I said, I had been naturally nervous. You were always nervous before games. And playing at that level, it was just, I mean, it is just uh, like dream come true for people. Can it's kind of things you go to your bed and dream about. Pretty sure. I looked through your, your debut season. Um, I'm certain you don't taste defeat as an Aberdeen player until the away tie in Budapest against Upchest Doza in early March. So you must have been thinking, this is just an easy lark, this. Well, I was, yeah, I was thinking winning, and then you actually got money. You got money? I thought, oh, my God. <laughs> they used to get anything extra here. This is amazing. Um, but no, you're, you're right, because you just, you just got a habit. You just get into the habit of um, you know. But I think it's the way you... Habit. It's, it's your belief and your, the idea was you Fergie always set out his teams to win games uh, it was, regardless if it was home or away he played a team it was set out to win um, and, and unfortunately managers after him didn't have that same approach and you did have your negative tactics which they naturally has got a negative bearing on you when you play but I think his game and the way he played it was all about winning and uh, that game, and that was a fantastic. I mean, the Ushpesh does. I mean, I, I mean, I, I think losing two 0 over there. I think you, know, you, you kind of felt God we're out of this game. And what again? A, a great European night, great atmosphere, and they went to extra time. Mark McGee got the hat trick. I think, if I remember correctly, that game. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it was. A, I think he was the last Aberdeen player to score a hat trick until Adam Rooney did it against Daugavariga. I want to say. Um, a couple of years ago, so it was a record that stood for quite some time. Um, we're recording this. Um, the 4th of May, um, so it's just two days after the 38th anniversary of the 2nd of May 1984, Aberdeen travelled to Tynecastle for a rearranged fixture against Hearts, and a certain Stuart McKimmy scores his first goal for the club, the only goal of the game to seal the win and the title with four games to spare. What can you remember about that game, Stuart, the goal itself and the feeling of becoming a league champion? Well, I can remember what the hell am I doing in this position because I was, I was playing right back and I remember Doug Rugby took a, a throw-in on the left-hand side and I collected the ball on the left kind of left edge of the 18-yard box. And I'm thinking, well, for a start, why am I over there? Because that's just unusual to be that far over the field, especially for a throw-in. But no, I mean, I just remember he threw the ball in and I took a kind of a wild swipe, but it didn't connect uh, that well with it. But it was enough to, to kind of uh, get the ball over the line, and again, it's just the kind of the, the kind of fairy tale continuing. I mean, you you, you can't. It's always difficult to explain because, as I say, you've, you've came from a struggling Dundee side. You've now got a Super Cup medal, and you've now scored the the winning goal, which has now got you a league championship medal. I mean, what else could happen? And the whirlwind debut season in red does not end there. It's then a first trip for you to Hamden for a major cup final. 
Aberdeen eventually seeing off Celtic in extra time in the Scottish Cup final by two goals to one. Do share with us your memories of your first Scottish Cup final and the celebrations afterwards as Aberdeen become the first and only side out with the old firm to win a league and cup double. Um, again, hey, I think you were still kind of floating in the air. Um, it just went for, for, for good to even better. And, and I played, I mean, that game, my recollection of the game was, uh, wasn't, a, wasn't a cracking kind of a, a final, especially against Celtic. You normally expect really good and entertaining football between Celtic and Aberdeen. It wasn't a, one of the best games uh, you've ever played, but... I think in, in cups and, and certainly in cup finals, for instance, it's it's more important to get again, it's important to get the win as opposed to the performance. Although Fergie begged to differ the season prior to that when they won the uh, the cup winners cup and then they beat Rangers after it won nil, he wasn't happy with the performance. So uh, never happy. But uh, no, I think cup games is all about winning, and uh, we managed to keep that again that going. I mean, that was three trophies for me in, in less than six months. Incredible. Yeah, let's surmise your first six months at the club. It's a, a European Super Cup, League and Cup double winner, 28 appearances and one goal under your belt. I take it you're pretty happy with that. Uh, well, the things can... Well, it's difficult to beat that. <laughs> you set the standards and uh, it would be it's difficult to achieve that again. Bearing in mind, yeah, what Aberdeen have achieved in the, in the relatively recent history then, how did Alex Ferguson go about maintaining those standards and... It, Installing the desire to keep winning trophies. Well, I think he had. That, I mean, he had. That, I mean, there was. We lost a few. Um, a few of the team at the end of that season. That's the season when uh, Gordon Strachan. He went to Man United, and Mark McGee went to Hamburg, and I think Big Duke Rugby went to Chelsea. Um, but he was. What he was able to do though was replace these players. Um, maybe not with like for like, but players who came in and, and did um, a really good job. And I mean, I remember Billy Stark came in for uh, for Gordon Strachan and totally different types of players, but Billy Stark was a, a very under underrated player. Uh, he was fantastic at getting into the box. His timing of the run to get in and he, he, he a prolific midfield goal scorer. Um, I'm trying to think now who... Oh, Frank McDougall was the, the replacement for, for Mark McGee. So you've went from Mark McGee, who I wouldn't say was a prolific goal scorer, but in my time at Aberdeen, I would say Frank McDougall was probably the best striker I played with. I mean, he only played there for maybe two and a half years, and I think he had to retire due to back problems. But I saw Frank scoring uh, four, four goals against Celtic, three against Rangers, and kind of... You know, let a space on once time, and he's, he's, I mean, he's a phenomenal striker. Getting okay? right foot, left foot, um, in the air. Modern day, would you fit into the modern day game? Probably not, but a fantastic player of his either. Yeah, I mean, speak to anyone who who followed Aberdeen at the time. I think if Frank McDougall had been able to keep, had been had kept fit and, and hadn't had that kind of career ending back injury, and he'd stayed with Aberdeen, I think Joey Harper's goal scoring record could have been well under threat. If, uh, if Frank had been able to keep up that sort of form because the, the, the two and a half seasons he's at Aberdeen his goal scoring record is is phenomenal and, and you're right I mean that season you touched on it Mark McGee Gordon Strack and Doug Rugby all depart they're replaced by Billy Stark Tommy McQueen Frank Dougal and the league is still won at a canter we eventually win it by seven points from Celtic in second place now that of course for our younger listeners this is still when you were, it was two points for a win as well so that seven point gap is actually a really significant gap um, in comparison to the modern day era. You only missed two games that season. You scored three goals in the process. 
I guess in a way that season's probably marked by a bit of disappointment about how the cup competitions go through. There's a 3-1 defeat at First Division Airdrie in the League Cup, which is, uh, I look back, going back through like Fergie's time at Aberdeen, it's probably the biggest shock defeat during his time at Aberdeen. You played that day. Can you remember anything about that game, what went wrong, and, and what was the manager's reaction after that one? Well, I can't remember much about the game, but you can imagine what the manager's reaction was. <laughs> uh, he wasn't a happy man. Um, it's what he some. That's what, I think that's what people I say the kind of the joy of the cup. I mean, there's always going to be um, upsets. Um, there's no excuses. We we didn't play well in that in that day, and uh, every uh, can they they deserve their victory? And it was hey, great for great for their history to to beat a, a team like that, an Aberdeen team like that. It's convincingly three one. So that no, was very disappointing because yeah, kind of you're you're on a, a high and continually into that season. Uh, you're looking to try and win every trophy. Back in our days, that's where it was. At the start of the season, it wasn't about let's finish in the top six. Let's see if we can get that cup final. It was we're in we're in four cup uh, four competitions. Let's go and win them all. And that's and that was the kind of attitude you had. That defeat is then followed up by a defeat to Dynamo Berlin in the European Cup, uh, 3-3 on aggregate, the East Germans going through 5-4 on penalties. And as the Dons are chasing now, it would have been a historic fourth Scottish Cup triumph in a row. Semi-final replay defeat to Dundee Wright Tynecastle by two goals to one. Sees Aberdeen finish with only the league trophy to show. And I say that, only the league trophy to show. <laughs> For you, though, on a personal level, you made 41 appearances across all competitions how happy were you with your own form and how settled were you feeling in the in the Aberdeen team? Yeah, I think I think my form was was good. Um I mean the fact that you you've kind of you've kept your position uh, is good because uh, I mean playing under a, a tough taskmaster like like Fergie, uh, if your if your form dipped at all, he would have dropped you. There's there's no qualms. It didn't matter who you were. If you didn't perform, you wouldn't have been playing. So um I've got to be I mean I was delighted that to play that amount of games. Um, obviously disappointed that uh, certainly in the, the cup competitions to go out when we did and the, and the way we did um, because I think uh, I used well to lose to Airdrie and then obviously to United was well they were they were were main competitors I suppose in that day I was under the the Jim McLean era when they, they had a fantastic team at, at won the, the league in 82-83 season so there were some fantastic derby games in those days uh, between United and Aberdeen great rivalry uh, the, the new forum mine remember that's what we were called the new forum uh, so we were we were the clubs that were getting all the highlights in that, in that era so um, but no I mean personally to, to play 41 games was was pretty good uh, considering You touched on how Alex Ferguson was capable of getting the the very best out of you, but how did your relationship develop and what was it like? You know, you've been at the club for a good period of time now, you've made a lot of appearances. He clearly trusts you, but how did you, I mean, what was your relationship like with Fergie? Um, <laughs> as I think, I mean, he's one of the, he's, uh, we, we got on, we, we fell out a few times, quite a few times. Um, again, it's all, it's all down to that respect because, um, I mean, there's, he, Fergie was such a well-respected a manager that he, he could he could make or break your career quite easily, and and and, and he and he did it he did it to a number of players. You know, I mean, uh, oh, can if you look at over the period he's a manager, um, you, 
I think people went on what he said, and, and uh, if you didn't toe the line, you, you you weren't in the team. And then back in those days, it, it was all about playing. I mean, I think if you look at modern day football now, players don't worry about playing because they still get played, paid huge salaries regardless of the player or not. In those days, the the key was to be to to be playing, and if you're playing and winning, you get extra for for your efforts. And I think that was the, the key to the success uh, there that. You kept winning and you kept getting that wee bit of extra and you didn't want to be out of the team uh, and you were enjoying yourself. I mean, most importantly, I think for the, for the football side, you were playing your you were playing your hobby and you were getting paid to do it. And that's the way I always looked at it. You were blessed, you were lucky, you were getting paid to play football. Great. And on the topic of continuing to win the next season, see swift progress in the League Cup, Air, St. Johnston United are all dealt with to set up a final with Hibs at Hampden. The Dons run out comfortable winners, meaning that you complete the set of domestic trophies at the same time that Fergie does. I mean, what did that mean to you? Yeah, I mean, it was fantastic. Um, it was a fairly comprehensive uh, victory. I mean, uh, for the start, I think we we were on top of that match and we never looked like losing it. And uh, it was great. It was it was great to win a, a cup like that. They, they would like, wouldn't like to say so easy, but comfortable. They normally cup competition, the finals are very tense affairs, uh, a lot of kind of a lot of tension in that. But I think you know, I think we definitely stand with authority there and, and they won pretty easily. And the league form falters a bit that season. So a lot of focus ends up being placed on progress in the European Cup and it's IFK Gothenburg who wait in the quarterfinals, a two two draw at Patodra in the first leg. So as you start on the bench can you remember, was there any particular reason why you started on the bench that evening, Stuart? Because you were never present in the weeks running up to that. Well, I, I think, personally, looking back, and I'm sure if Mr. Ferguson's an honest man, he'll realise <laughs> that he made a mistake. He he changed his formation. Uh, now, I'm just trying to think, Neil Cooper, he played three, three centre-backs that day. So it was Neil Cooper, Willie Miller and Alec McLeish. He didn't play two fullbacks. He played the three, three at the back, and I think memory serves me correctly. I think they were two nil. Was it two nil or two one down at half time? And he had to change the formation. And I went. He went back to an old fashioned back four for the second half. And we got it back. It was a two two draw at Petodre, but he got it wrong because we went. And we actually trained for. I don't know why, but we actually trained down at Paradise on the build up to that game uh, for some reason and. The, 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 they were, he was actually training with that formation so I knew early doors that you weren't going to be starting but I think hand on heart um, he, if he if he was, was being honest he would probably say he made a tactical uh, a mistake that night because I think he overestimated and although they were a good side actually yeah. uh, he adjusted his team to suit them which is a rare thing for Fergie because he usually doesn't worry too much about the opposition but he seemed for whatever reason, Gothenburg seemed to have him a wee bit puzzled. The return pilgrimage to the Ulevi is not to have the fairy tale ending this time. A nil-nil draw sees the Swedes progress on away goals. Was there a bit of a feeling of an opportunity missed here, do you think, amongst the team as Gothenburg eventually go on to the semi-finals? They face Barcelona. They only miss out in the final by virtue of a penalty shootout in the camp now after a thrilling 3-3 draw in aggregate. Was this potentially Aberdeen's Best opportunity, do you think, Stuart, perhaps going on to look at winning the European Cup? Yeah, I mean, I think, well, if you looked at the, the, the season before that, when they, we lost to Porto in the semi-final of the Cup Winners' Cup, I mean, that would have been 
uh, we were just so close to getting to another final. And then on paper, I think looking at the clubs, um, Aberdeen were probably the favourites to beat Gothenburg, but they were a very um, a tall, physical side, very athletic, uh, and they were good players, actually. I think maybe um, people underestimated how good they were. And um, certainly the home result, I think, well, it, it, it was evident there, the home result was the, the result that cost him the game. And I think it was a tactical error from Alec Ferguson. I think he, he, the way his, he set up his team cost Aberdeen that opportunity. And you're right, Gothenburg at the time are a good side. I mean, they go on a couple of years later to win the UEFA Cup um, that beat United, Dundee United in the final uh, for that one. But a familiar return to Hamden arrives on the 10th of May, the dawn sweeping past a demoralised heart still smarting after their title challenge collapse on the final day the week before. Two goals from John Hewitt, another from Billy Starks. He's the Scottish Cup return north for the fourth time in five seasons. 51 appearances for yourself, Stuart, in total across that campaign. Another three goals as well. Place you just behind Big Eck and Willie Miller for appearances that season. As such an integral part of a successful Aberdeen side, playing as regularly as you were, at that point, were you kind of starting to wonder if like Scotland recognition would actually ever kind of come round for you? Yeah, I mean, I, I think um, it could have and possibly should have came a lot earlier than it did. Um, but again, uh, kind of this kind of you, you, have, you hear stories um, that that uh, it was prevented due to um, the great Mister Fer- Alec Ferguson. I get I thought I was saying about making and breaking careers, and, and uh, I uh, I won't elaborate on it. But uh, it was it, it was deferred due to him because I I found out about three or four years later when I was playing that that he had had a word and. And people listened to him when he when he spoke. People listened to him, so I, it's uh, it was it was disappointing because I think I I I began to kind of question uh, about kind of Aberdeen at that time after having so much success and not winning so much, and you, you begin to wonder about Scotland. Am I ever going to get in the Scotland side if Aberdeen are struggling? Will Scotland consider you because you're playing in a struggling side? Should you think about moving on? You know, that, that, that began to kind of happen. It was in my mind and how, what to do. Uh, although, I mean, I didn't, I didn't move. But uh, the, the thoughts were there and there was interest and, and it was something that I did think about, but eventually it did come round. Uh, we'll come on to the Scotland side of things a, a little bit later on, but Gav, on you, on you go. Yeah, the 86-87 close season sees the continued breakup of the, of the great Gothenburg team. Neil Cooper and Eric Black depart and Frank McDougall makes his last appearance for the club in the opening match of the league against Hibs before being forced to retire um, as a result of the aforementioned back injury. There's early exits from the League Cup to Celtic and the Cup Winners' Cup uh, defeat to Sion. And then November rolls around and the, the rumours begin to swirl that Alex Ferguson has been targeted by Manchester United as the replacement for Ron Atkinson. You play in what turns out to be his final match, kind of fitting in a way, a 2-0 win at Dens Park. Can you recall the mood and the atmosphere in the dressing room when it had been confirmed that he was leaving for Old Trafford? Well, I can remember that season, him saying to me about signing a new, co- a new contract, show some loyalty to the club. And I signed a new contract and then he left. <laughs> so I always remember that bit. Uh, but no, I mean, I think, uh, God, I mean... Uh, it was hard to hard to believe, to be perfectly honest. I mean, you, you never thought 
Well, he, he always believed that, it, that someday he would, it would, he would leave, but you never really thought it would come round. And uh, no, it was, it was very disappointing. Uh, hey, if you, if you look back as well, if you think about it, it was spot on. I mean, his timing was probably right because uh, again, from then on for a period of time, uh, there was very little success. So um, again, I think it's you don't want to overstay your welcome. I think that sometimes in football you do do that. Uh, and you didn't want to, to make that mistake. And I think Fergie was always he was always good at making the right decisions. He got out at the right time. And it was a big hey, it was a big, big opportunity for him, um, which didn't work out probably the way he thought it would initially. So Yeah, but fair to say he made it work in the end. Oh definitely. <laughs> <laughs> Surprisingly, it's Ian Porterfield who is the board's choice to replace Sir Alex and his first match, Pataudry. Uh, is a 1-0 win over Rangers, a boisterous Pataudry crowd there. You play the full 90 minutes. It's a fine header by Davy Dodds to settle the match. Can you remember much about the game? And maybe more importantly, can you remember what the squad's reaction was to Porterfield being given the nod to follow, you know, in the footsteps of Sir Alex Ferguson, ultimately, I guess, the the impossible job? Yeah, I mean, I mean, it was obviously a strange decision because... Uh, well, I'd heard of him because I was a Legion United fan and he beat, he scored the goal that beat us away back in 1972, so I'd heard of him. But, uh, no, it was a strange decision to take some, I mean, after being so successful, uh, to, to bring an unknown, a guy who's never probably, I don't think he played in Scotland, I think he went down to England as a youngster. So, um, But one thing I'll say about your Porterfield was he was a lovely, lovely guy. Um, he had, I think he's, he was a, a player's manager, players took him, a very nice guy. But he, what he did bring with him was um, that, like that at that time, the English mentality because we were taught, still getting still two points for a victory, one point for a draw, and he had this mentality of coming to Aberdeen and and, and a wee game. If we got a draw, he was delighted that we got a point. Now we go back to when Fergie was a manager. We went out to win every game, and if you didn't win every game, you used to get a bollocking for it. So. It was quite strange that you go away from your home and you get a draw and Ian Porterfield's praising you for a well-played last great result, blah, blah, blah. And I think uh, he he didn't lose uh, an enormous amount of games, but he'd probably, when he was in charge, he probably had a lot of draws. And that's what I would think, because we used to go away from your home then thinking quite content to get a draw. So the the whole mindset was totally different from going from going for a victory every, every week to going away from your home settle for a draw and and I think that was his downfall actually because he he did get too many draws in but he was a lovely guy and I mean of course it was him that signed uh, Charlie Nicholas he managed to get Charlie Nicholas to sign for Aberdeen absolutely I mean ultimately the, the, the half season or so that the, the Ian Porterfield's in charge for initially kind of fizzles out a little bit it's a fourth place finish in the league Celtic knock Aberdeen out in the Scottish Cup this time after a second replay at the third round stage. It's a first trophyless season for Aberdeen since the 1980-81 campaign. But for yourself, Stuart, it's another consistent season, 45 appearances across all competitions. You, you retain your place, even though like a new manager's come in. So, so that's also a positive. Moving into the following campaign, that, that season's probably most famous for the epic 3-3 draw in the final of the League Cup against Rangers, which ultimately ends in defeat on penalty kicks. The Scottish Cup challenge falls short at the semi-final stage. A second replay again against United finally settles that United win at 1-0 with a late Ian Ferguson goal. Another fourth place finish as well. And you touched on it a minute ago. 17 draws that season uh, for Aberdeen, really costing 
us any chance of a proper title challenge. Ian Porterfield resigns at the end of the season. Do you think it was just that kind of mentality about draws or kind of okay results that, that Porterfield maybe just didn't get right? Yeah, definitely. There's no question about it. I mean, uh, away, away from home especially. I mean, at home, you're obviously trying to win. Again, as a manager, you want to win all your home games. But picking up a point away from home was successful. And that was, I think he, he definitely brought that. It was the English mentality. Uh, for, I think for struggling teams, actually, in England, uh, to get a draw away from home is a great result. And uh, we just weren't used to that. And, uh, I mean, it was a shame for him to, to, to lose his job. But the board, probably, they, they didn't make a mistake in appointing an inexperienced manager uh, with no experience in Scottish football. There's no, there's no question about it. But as I say, a great guy... Well, I mean, definitely a player's manager. You got one great with him. Uh, he used to come out with the boys as well for a few drinks every now and again. So he was a, he was a good a good lad, actually. Just before we move on to the next as well, you, you touched on it a second ago when, you know, Porterfield is the guy that eventually manages to persuade Charlie Nichols to move to Aberdeen. Um, and again, for like a lot of younger listeners on this one, that has to be put into, you know, quite a lot of context. You know, that Aberdeen paid a pretty significant transfer fee at the time to bring Charlie Nichols to Aberdeen. I used to try and compare this to people before. It was like almost the equivalent of Aberdeen now bringing somebody like Robin Van Persie or something from from Arsenal, which is just so with the realms of possibility of happening. What was the kind of reaction in the dressing room? And again, you hear the because the news had been building for through the week as well as I recall about Charlie coming in and how did he kind of fit into the dressing room? Obviously, he'd come from London where he had a reputation as being a bit of a, a playboy, moving to Aberdeen, all that kind of good stuff. Oh, hey, he was he was a really nice, a really good lad actually, um, and he and he fitted in. He fitted, fitted in exceptionally well. I mean, he, he's uh, the thing he, he didn't he didn't reduce. Can you we really think you coming to Aberdeen at that time, leaving a, a kind of a bigger club like Arsenal to come to Aberdeen? You would have underperformed, but he didn't. I mean, a fantastic uh, player, great skills, um, and as off the field. A lovely, lovely, lovely person. Um, so I was, I think, I mean, a major, a major coup for Aberdeen at that time because he, uh, I mean, he scored a few goals and and uh, it was a privilege to play with. Uh, I mean, he is off the field, great on the field, fantastic player. Ian Porterfield has departed, and Alex Smith and Jockey Scott are the men appointed as co-managers alongside Drew Jarvie as assistants. What were your personal thoughts of the new management team? Um, well, I, I knew uh, Jockey from Dundee, actually. When, uh, when I was at Dundee, Jockey had come back from injury. He was at Aberdeen, I think, and he signed for Dundee again. So he was my coach at Dundee. So uh, I knew Jockey. I knew how grumpy and crabby he was. So I knew what to expect from him. Uh, Alec, I, was, I didn't know Alec, uh, that, uh, Alec Smith that well. Uh, Drew, I mean, he was very similar to, to Jockey, kind of same kind of era. Um, great, I mean, great enthusiasm. Drew Jarvie, when he used to uh, take part in the training all the time, and he just loved to be playing football. And I think he wishes he was still playing. I think if he could play now, he still would. But but like Alex Smith, he was it was like good cop, bad cop. Jockey was the bad cop, and Alec Alec was the good guy. Uh, and he, he's just like he actually reminded you of you know, like your uh, like a father figure. And you would go to him, can have a chat, can can just to. He was just good to have about uh, a nice calm and influence when you had Jockey, who was the total opposite. He was kind of at you and moaning, and and and, and Alec was kind of good guy. Uh, and again, Alec, uh, kind of he he had the influence to to bring in quality players. You're very much an integral part of that side again. 
It's 47 appearances across all competitions, second only to one Theo Schnelders and Bobby Connor that season. This, of course, is Theo's debut season as the replacement for Jim Layton, who followed Sir Alex to Old Trafford. Your initial impressions of Theo when he came to the club? Well, the first thing I was shocked at is he could kick a ball. Jim Layton couldn't kick a ball, so I was very surprised that we could, a goalkeeper that could kick a ball. But no, I think um, I mean, Theo was a, a big physical guy and he was very commanding and uh, and, and talked. And he talked well. Uh, you, you had Jim, who was quite a quiet you know, he he his performances were done by by playing. Theo was very good at talking and communicating. Uh, he was good on the ball, good shot stopper. Um, I mean, it was a, a great signing from from Alec. Alec Alec did some great dealings in in Holland uh, at that time uh, when some good players came across there and made a massive difference to the team. Another hand and appearance in the League Cup final but it's Rangers who win that one 3-2 we need to wait one more year to get our hands on the Skull Cup again and a Scottish Cup exit in the fourth round to Dundee United Aberdeen finish in the league in second spot behind Rangers just six points adrift but finally for you Stuart the first of 40 caps for Scotland arrives in a I can never pronounce this right is it a Rouse Cup or Rouse Cup is it Rouse 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 Cup match at Hamden against England on the 27th of May, 1989. We touched on it earlier on that maybe you were thinking this might not come around. For you, how proud a moment personally and for your family to get that first cap, especially against the old enemy at Hamden? Yeah, I mean, it was, I mean, well, that was me for 27 now. So, you, you can, I, I probably, can, if you think back, you could have probably been playing or had caps when you were about 23, 24. So uh, having to wait there, yeah, I mean, it was great because you thought it was never going to happen. And especially when it did, because it, you were not actually playing uh, in a very successful Aberdeen team at that time. You hadn't won much. And normally kind of, they go hand in hand, success brings uh, Scottish caps. Um, but no, it was, a, it was a great, I mean, although we lost the game uh, 2-0, uh, it was great to, to to walk out there and play in that match. Absolutely fantastic. Going into the 89-90 campaign with Alex Smith in charge now, was there a real determination amongst the squad to to finally get back in amongst the trophies? Um, I think when I, mean, I think we had we're, we're, we were playing better football. We had some really good footballers uh, back in the team again because um, I think with the uh, the Dutch influence uh, can we had like uh, can Paul Mason uh, came across as well who wasn't a Dutch but he, we got him from Groningen uh, he would have been as well being Dutch because he spoke double Dutch and he's love a puddling accident but accident but no a great player I mean Paul I mean I think they paid two hundred thousand pounds for him and a fantastic absolutely fantastic player and I think we started to get back a wee bit more belief uh, that and, and playing most importantly I think though was playing good football. Um, I think we had kind of lost our way a couple of like, two or kind of couple of seasons. You weren't playing really good football. It wasn't a, it wasn't a great to play in. It wasn't a, you didn't enjoy it the same. But Alec managed to bring back in that kind of belief that we could go on to, to win uh, some trophies. Stuart, you play every minute of the run to a third League Cup final. Albion Rovers, Airdrie, Sitmiran, and Celtic all swept aside. Rangers had beaten Dunfermline five 0 the night before the Celtic semi for ourselves. It sets up the third in the trilogy of League Cup finals against uh, against Rangers. Was there a sense of, oh, no, not not this again? Or was there a real sense of determination in the squad to, to get over the line this time? Yeah, I mean, I think I think looking back, uh, these three finals were 
fantastic football spectacles. I mean, it was because we played well. Well, the first one was three three lost in penalty kicks. The second three two after the extra time. I think it was. Um, but the most important thing is we played really good football. We didn't play badly. We didn't kind of, we didn't let ourselves down by our performance. It was fantastic. Three great finals. Uh, that we played in and we played and the good thing about it is you played against really good Rangers sides as well because in that days they had fantastic world class players playing and and to finally beat them third time lucky I mean it was a bit of a relief but it was absolutely brilliant and we deserve to win it I mean I'm not going to I think we again, were unlucky with the other two to, to be perfectly honest we could have maybe won three um, I'm sure Rangers would say the same but um, no I, I mean it was fantastic to get you know, your hands on a trophy again The biggest talking point Going into that game is probably the inclusion of Ian Jess in the starting lineup that day. Ian had been kind of flitting in around the first team with Alex Smith and Jockey Scott, kind of trying to ensure that he wasn't being overrun with games, but he'd not really been around the squad at all in the run up to the final. I guess, just first of before we come out the final itself, your, your initial recollections of Ian as a player as he first starts coming into the team, and then your reaction, reaction to the squad when news breaks on, I think it was the morning of the game that he was actually getting a start in the final. Um, impressions at Ian, cocky, arrogant, but eh, pretty good. He, he, he can back it up with his football. So, I mean, a, a brilliant, brilliant football player. Absolutely superb football player and great person. Absolutely great person. And I'm not surprised that, I mean, uh, Alec, I mean, Alec was always somebody who would give youth a chance. And, and he certainly gave yeah, Ian his break in football. He had the confidence in Ian to play him. To sit. He signed him initially, and he had the confidence in him to play him. And, and uh, I mean, Ian was I mean, an exceptional talent. And it was just disappointing. I mean, yeah, disappointing uh, that he left. And if we, I thought he did uh, to go to a club like he did, uh, which I didn't find out until. Uh, only recently that I was speaking to him and he was telling me about his move. I says, why did you go to, to Coventry? I mean, a player like your calibre should surely be playing with a team that suits Ian Jess. Coventry, a struggling side, doesn't, doesn't suit Ian, like Ian Jess. He says, well, he says, I did have a chance to go to um, Sampdoria. I says, Jesus, why did you go Italian? I can play there. You would have been a superstar. But he, he just felt that Aberdeen rescued him rescued him from Rangers if uh, at that time he felt he owed him something and if he'd went to Sampdoria they'd have got no money and that's the reason he did it and you thought God how many players would do that these days put the club before yeah. themselves yeah absolutely I mean Ian, Ian kind of told us that story of himself when, when we spoke to him way back on episode 10 and you're right it just says so much about the character of, of Ian Jess and you're right I think you know in the modern game, very, very few people would be willing to do that. I think the most recent example I can think of is probably someone like Russell Anderson, who uh, didn't didn't go down quite that route, but I think he donated his signing on fee when he left Aberdeen to go to Sunderland. and he donated that back to the club um, as for part of the kind of youth setup and everything. So it says a lot about Ian from that perspective. It's just hit me just now, actually, Stuart, because we haven't spoken to anyone yet who played in that 82, 83, 84 Aberdeen team and who played alongside Ian Jess. So I'm going to ask it now. Could Ian have played in that 83 team, do you think? Oh, uh, well, I'm just trying to think who you would play him because, <laughs> <laughs> just, no, I mean, the, the ability of him, uh, no question about it. I mean, gee, uh, well, he might have been able to play yeah, in, front of, in front of me. I mean, where Gordon, was, where Gordon played. Uh, I think, I mean, Jess was at his best when you give him the freedom. 
to, to, to express himself. If you put him in a position, you didn't get the best out of him. Um, but uh, no, I mean, he was uh, an exceptionally talented player. Uh, probably, again, probably one of the, I always say like Gordon Strachan was the best player I ever played with. And I only played with him for six months, but it was because he made my job so easy. He made me fit into that team so easy. But, but if you're looking at my talented players, the best player, most, I probably, I mean, I would have to say that the best player you've probably played at Aberdeen with is, is Ian Jess because he was a, he was a fantastic player. Going back to that 89 Skull Cup final, you must have been in pretty close proximity to Ali McCoy when he's backing into William Miller for that penalty kick. What can you remember about that? Um, clever. He's, I mean, he's, a, he's, a, he's a clever um, striker. Um, and, and, and will I hear? I, I mean, clever clever players are able to do that. They just get so close to you and they just fall over. And, and hey, I'm sure he had a wee, a wee titter once he, once he got the pen. That's what he was looking for. He got it and... Uh, I'm not going to say it was or it wasn't because it, 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 again, I like the good old days. I like when they've got VR and you're having to be able to look and you can see it. Like, I like when you've got your opinions. And, and hey, Willie, I think Willie was close. I mean, you can't afford to be too close to somebody like that in the box because they're, they, they just use him. I remember Paul Sturrock did the same to me at United and I got a real ear bashing from Alec Ferguson for, for Paul Sturrock doing exactly the same thing. I didn't think it was a pen, but he was able to clever, used you, and got a penalty so uh, I'm sure Willie will say it wasn't there uh, knowing for Willie's like <laughs> I, I think Willie's blood pressure has only just about come down after that penalty <laughs> kick award to be honest um, it's we touched on it earlier on there's I guess that sense of relief we finally get over the line against Rangers in a league cup final it ends up 2-1 after extra time two goals from Paul Mason celebrations after from that one can you remember much about it and was it just that sense of relief about finally getting over the line over these guys well, I mean, I think we, I think we did celebrate well. I'm pretty, if I remember correctly, I'm sure we went back to St Andrews. I think that was a kind of a regular place you want, you went to if you won. Uh, if you didn't win, you didn't go anywhere. Um, so I know it was, hey, it was great uh, to to celebrate because it, it was hard earned and, and and deserved. I think um, after two cups that we felt we probably deserved more out of uh, two previous cup finals, we, we deserved more out of. It was great to, to finally beat them, and it was again. It's all about who you were playing against because you were playing against really good players in that day. You know, I mean, I, I'm one of these people that uh, appreciated what Graham Soonis did to Scottish football by bringing these stars for down south and abroad to play for Rangers because it only enhanced Aberdeen's performance as you had to play well to play against them. A matter of weeks after the League Cup victory, the Dons bring the European Cup winner and Dutch internationalist Hans Hilofsky-Petaudry from PSV. You are a part of the team when Hans makes his debut for Aberdeen East End Park and it took the Dutchman no time at all to introduce himself to Scottish football. An overhead kick within 12 minutes putting the Dons ahead and your cross ball sets up a second for him shortly after. Your first impressions of one Hans Hillhouse. Um, well, he was up there with me and Jess and uh, came with, with regarding talent and ability. Uh, there's no question about it. Um, what a difference he made. Uh, you had a prolific goal scorer again. I mean, I, I don't think, I mean, Jess, for all the, the great player Jess was, you would never say he's a prolific goal scorer and Aberdeen had been missing a striker of that calibre. And again, I mean, although I think, I'm trying to think that if he was, I think it was about 600, 650 or something, 650. Uh, great bit of business 
from uh, Alex Smith again, and, and what a what an impact he made. And not only that, because he played alongside Charlie and it, uh, initially, and these two guys. I mean, from two, they have uh, Hans Hellhouse and Charlie Nicholas playing on the same team. You know, I mean, Aberdeen fan would ever believe that would happen. Defeats to Hibs, Celtic, and Rangers. Three draws on the spin in February. It leaves the Dons League Challenge kind of floundering, but progress much like the Skull Cup uh, in the Scottish Cup. It's swift. Park Thistle, Morton, Hearts and United all dispatched in style to set up the showpiece final against Celtic at Hamden in May. Uh, a week before, a youthful Aberdeen team beat Celtic 3-1 at Parkhead. But the final itself is mainly memorable with being what can only be described as a pretty turgid game of football, if that's uh, fair to say. Yeah, I mean, it, was, um, it wasn't a great, a great match. Um, but, it, I mean, obviously the, the finale was what it was all about. Um, uh, Brian Irvin's always remembered for for that for that final. Everybody always talks about the 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 winning goal, um, but I always think about everything that happened previous to that. Uh, in particular, I mean, from our well, I, one thing I noticed from when I played for Aberdeen, I think I played in uh, three penalty shootouts in my time. And you mentioned one earlier; it was Dynamo Dresden. Uh, we got penalty kicks now. The thing that always happened in football in my time was when you ask for volunteers, you always got four. And one, the other, and you always had the, the fifth person would say, right, I'll take one if, if nobody else did. And I, did, I remember Dynamo Dresden, Wally Miller did it. He missed. He said, he said because he was captain, I'll take the, I'll take the penalty. He missed. But uh, against Rangers, it was Peter Nicholas. Again, he said, okay, if nobody else is going to take it, I'll take it. And the one against Celtic is Brian Grant. And I've got, and he did exactly the same. So it was interesting that the guys who kind of volunteered, I just, I said, okay, if anybody else is going to, they missed. Uh, so, I mean, it, I always remember kind of that kind of, because the pressure is on these guys initially. And then from, for us to then go to the, the sudden death, the pressure was on everybody, apart from Brian Irvin. Uh, he was the one that, no pressure on him. Uh, but uh, it was great. I mean, uh, it was a horrible feeling. It's the only penalty to, penalty kick I've ever taken. Uh, but uh, a horrible feeling, but great when you score. Of course, yeah. You step up and you score. At the game, the shootout was at six five when you stepped up. So you made it six six to keep Aberdeen in the uh, in the shootout. Can you, in a few words, just kind of remember or tell us about your feeling as you're making the walk from the halfway line to the penalty spot? Um, very, very nervous. Uh, but I remember just walking up, uh, very nervously, and then just thinking, "What I'm going? I just made up my mind what I'm, where I'm going to put it. I and I and I just made up my mind, and I, I put it in the, in the top corner. I couldn't have actually put it any closer <laughs> uh, to the to the kind of the the, the the goal post and the the, the bar. So, uh, great sense of relief when I went back after it. So I think it was Graham Watson came after me, actually, the young young Graham Watson. Uh, I'm pretty certain it was him, because uh, Brian Irvin, he, ref- he he was the very last person to take it. So uh, yeah, I put a lot of pressure, something I would never want to go through again, I've got to say. It was fine because we won. <laughs> Just said it. I mean, no sweat. You send Pat Bonner the wrong way. The rest is history, courtesy of Theo's save from Anton Rogan. Brian Irvin's penalty, as you say, it's pretty much the only Aberdeen penalty that afternoon with no pressure on it ironically 
a 9-8 win on penalties. The first time a Scottish Cup has ever been decided on penalty kicks sees the Scottish Cup return north for the first time since 1986, which at that time was obviously quite a period of time. Um, it's not been back since, unfortunately. The 1989-90 season, now perhaps, Stuart, you and I, we, we talked about this actually a few weeks ago. Um, at the time, it maybe didn't get the recognition that it, it kind of deserves that achievement about winning a cup double. Um, it's not happened again until St. Johnson did it last season. When did that kind of achievement really sink in to, to yourself? Of winning the cup double? The cup double, yeah. Yeah. Um, no, no, because I, I think I think the fact that you hey, win cups again, I think that was the most important thing because yeah. it's been a while um, since we've... Um, you could actually think you were sensing at that time that this could be a, a kind of not a, obviously the kind of Gothenburg Fergie era, but you were thinking this is now going to be a, a kind of quite a successful period of time for Aberdeen again, uh, and I think with the kind of the, the signings that were made by Alex Smith, you made. I mean, I, I've got to say, I think his signings were up there with kind of the Fergie kind of signings. I mean, Fergie always had a knack of getting a bargain. Um, I don't think Alec really had spent fortunes and he bought in good quality players, guys that came in and made a big difference. And and I think it, it certainly improved uh, the way we played. We were back playing with confidence, enjoying football. And if, if you're playing with confidence, enjoying your football, results are inevitable. And so that wraps up this week's episode of the APZ Football Podcast. Thanks for joining us. Please remember to like, subscribe, follow, whatever on your podcast player of choice join us next week for episode 51 where we'll bring you all of the latest news from Pataudry Cormac Park and Spain who knows will someone go full Jamie Langfield and get blutered and try and assault Jim Goodwin I'm trying to think who that will be Ramirez maybe (laughs) (laughs) only he won't be blutered yeah probably not and next week we'll also bring you part two of our exclusive interview with Stuart McKimmy we look forward to seeing you then stand free Tell you what, I bet Ramirez is going to love the beaches in Spain, though. I hope he doesn't. <laughs> <laughs>